WandaVision kicks into full gear. The Snyder Cut drops its official trailer and the genius behind Kind of Funny, Tim Geddes, joins us for a list of the best MCU payoffs. All that and more on today's episode of The Direct Podcast. Peep those time codes below to jump to where you want to be. Let's get busy. Truth is, I am a Jedi. And I am burdened with glorious purpose. <laughs> Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky. See you in a minute. My man. I could do this all day. This is the way. But I'm also a big fan of justice. I'm vengeance. I'll show you the dark side. Why did you say that, man? Come on. Let's get nuts. Assemble. Welcome back inside the Direct Podcast, episode 20, double digits for a second time now. I am your host, the content machine, the Colossus of Clicks, whatever you want to call me, Liam Crowley, joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, the Scarlet, Matt Remke. Matt, I was thinking of a new nickname for you just in my head when I was getting this rundown put together. How do you how do you like the uh, the Titan of Thumbnails? <laughs> i i like it i like it um unfortunately i feel like taking that name would uh you know really put to shame the real thumbnail gods behind the direct i mean i i definitely do my part but it's the grotsky sure. brothers that are really holding it together for us and uh so i as much as i appreciate it you know the thumbnails is 100 percent a team effort effort over there at the direct and i i would i would hate to take shine away from the grinders over there that are doing it 24 7 whereas i'm just jumping in and helping whenever i can um but i appreciate it i do love making the thumbnails especially for your articles bud um so liam how we doing what a what a crazy crazy week it's been Crazy week indeed. I, I want to give you props, Matt, because you very much emphasized the the next day watch as the way to go. And ever since I've been watching these WandaVision episodes Friday mornings, it really just brightens my whole day. Oh, my entire day from there is just just a radiation of positive vibes. And I love it. So uh so thanks for putting me on to those those morning watches. How about yourself? How, how's your Friday? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing good. It's just I I I treat weeks nowadays like, you know, I'm just waiting for Friday. Every single day of every single week, I'm just itching to get to Friday because I get to record this podcast. I get to talk to everyone listening, but we're also getting our new WandaVision content every single Friday, and it's not going to stop MCU content. Fridays are the new best day of the week every single time. Um, but, you know, really, I just – every. Every week, I just cannot wait to get to the finish line that is Friday to talk to you and to talk to all of our fans out there. And speaking of the fans, I just want to take a moment for me and Liam both just to once again say thank you. We are so excited about all of the support and all of the amazing engagement we've seen on social media and in our downloads statistics. So I just want to say thank you again to everybody. If you're listening and you haven't yet, please hop over to the iTunes Apple Podcast app and drop us a review. That goes a long way in helping us get to where we want to be and hopefully give you more content like this. So please do us a favor, drop a nice review. If you have something nice to say, let us know. If you don't have anything nice to say, forget like this podcast doesn't exist. Move on. Move on with your life. We won't be offended, and we hope to have you back someday. But, um, Liam, I wanted to get to a quick question really really quickly off the top. As we head into the last three episodes um, of WandaVision, I, I start thinking about 
the the ending you know you know how how is this show going to end how is it going to tailor off after the fact you know like like are we going to get a season two how is this going to transition into the projects that we know it directly affects spider-man 3 doctor strange but the fact that this is a tv show i also think about things like game of thrones and think about sticking the landing and you know it goes for movies as well third act's always the hardest act right and some of the weaker mcu movies you directly point is at the third act as the weakest parts of those movies iron man is a great example you know it's a legendary movie it's never going to be outside of a top 12 in the mcu rankings list but you know the third act does fall apart a little bit and you know you take that you know with the superhero storytelling and you take the tv storytelling with game of thrones they kind of fumbled the landing a little bit. So I wanted to ask, as this progresses, as these episodes just keep, you know, staying great, you know, the, the, the bar has yet to lower, you know what I mean? How do you see Marvel taking this, this episodic show and sticking the landing with three episodes left of a show that probably harder to predict than any other show? It's a great question because obviously past Marvel movies, as you mentioned, the third act is kind of where they, they sometimes, I wouldn't say fall apart, but you know they don't continue that stellar trend that acts one and two set up. Mm -hmm. What this show is doing so great is it's building our anticipation for the coming weeks and coming weeks. And each week we tune in, we get some questions answered, but then we get more questions risen. And that aspect to me, while you know it remains to be seen if they're going to answer all those questions, they're definitely going to leave us with a couple because this story is going to continue into Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. So more questions will be left unanswered. It just remains to be seen if they will be left unanswered with at least a satisfying, you know, cliffhanger. Like at least like I'm not frustrated leaving the series. I'm anticipating the future projects. To me, they've sprinkled enough in the first, if we want to call episodes one through six, the first two acts, and then the last act be episodes seven through nine. They've sprinkled enough questions while also not giving us the real meat of this show just yet to get me intrigued going forward and i think that they've left enough good stuff remaining i don't really have a lot to go off of because the trailer footage is getting few and far between they've left enough good stuff remaining for us to stick that landing you mentioned game of thrones i think the issue with game of thrones was they put some of their best action in seasons preceding the final season I look at Battle of the Bastards. I look at all the stuff at Winterfell, at King's Landing. When they eventually got to that final season, it's not that they didn't have, you know, anything left to do. I just think that they used all their um, really creative standpoints early on in the show. And I think WandaVision's best stuff is still ahead of them. Absolutely. And, you know, the 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 fact of the matter is, you know, the, the act three problems that, you know, people want to peg on uh, superhero movies in general, but also the MCU is not, you know, a, you know it's not immune to those cr criticisms. I feel like throughout phase three, we have seen less and less and less of weak third acts. And, you know, like, you know, I can't remember the last time an MCU movie kind of fumbled the last act, where as, you know, some of the weaker movies of phase three for me personally, I don't know, like what, like Captain Marvel wasn't my absolute favorite, Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, kind of a product of where it fell in the schedule. I don't think the problem was the, oh, they just kind of fell apart at the end. It was just kind of an overall underwhelmness to those. So 
from a story st- storytelling standpoint, I feel like Marvel Studios is as good as there is at sticking the landing as far as where do these characters end up? Where does the story, you know, kind of finalize? And and like you said, what kind of satisfaction do we get? So um, I'm 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 really excited to see it. And and you know, just like we said in our WandaVision primer, this is going to set the precedent for Disney Plus shows, specifically Marvel Disney Plus shows, moving forward. And um, you know, Mandalorian season two was fantastic. WandaVision so far has been immaculate. And um, you know, if they can stick this landing, it's going to be blindly trusting disney plus moving forward just like we do with mcu movies so we'll get our answers in the coming weeks we'll get our answers on march 5th when wandavision wraps up with its season finale but for now we can focus on what we get every single day that's with the news you know it you love it it's the sizzle reel On a recent investor call, Disney CEO Bob Chapek revealed that Black Widow is still planned for a theatrical release, but they want to be flexible and they are monitoring the opening of movie theaters very closely. On the other side of that coin, Variety notes that Marvel president Kevin Feige is reportedly against a hybrid release. So, interesting to see how that plays out. And sticking with MCU news, another week, another tidbit from Spider-Man 3. Speaking to Esquire, Tom Holland said affirmatively that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are not in Spider-Man 3, but he also shared that he has, quote, no idea what this film is about. Are we calling Tom Holland a liar? Well, I'm definitely not calling him a truther. I did not see that in the run. (laughs) (laughs) Moving into DC news, the Snyder Cut has officially released its first full trailer giving us our first real look at what's to come from Zack Snyder's Justice League dropping March 18th. And moving into news from a galaxy far, far away after a series of controversial tweets dating back to November, Lucasfilm has announced that Mandalorian star Gina Carano is no longer employed by Lucasfilm and will no longer be a part of any future Star Wars projects. For more news on the DCEU, Captain Marvel 2, and more, make sure to check out thedirect.com. Matt, before we get into any of the other stories, I feel like we got to start off with that last one. Gina Carano obviously being fired from her role as Cara Dune in the Star Wars universe, no longer appearing in The Mandalorian, likely no longer appearing in what we presume to be a big role in Rangers of the New Republic. Uh, Before I I toss to you and get your thoughts on it, I I do kind of want to emphasize the facts here because a lot of people, you know, are separated into two camps of whether this was just or not. Gina Carano, this is the last in a series of controversial comments she made. I'm not going to repeat them on air because I personally find them a little distasteful. However, she made three separate controversial remarks before this fourth one. Disney reached out to her representatives and expressed concern about her behavior after the third incident. So this fourth one was after she was warned to stop and it kind of looks like it was the last straw in a series of incidents. Um, I want to give a shout out to John Campia on YouTube. He broke this down wonderfully and he mentioned very importantly that Gina Carano is under contract or was under contract with Disney and Lucasfilm. When you play in their house, you play by their rules. Whether or not that's, you know, just in monitoring what she says on social media, she represents a brand. And it's in every right for that brand to say, this is how you're allowed to behave 
while you're starring in our projects. That's kind of my two cents on it. We have to address it because it is the biggest Star Wars news of the week. Matt, what did you think about these comments and essentially her, her firing? Well, I mean, it's, it, it is a shame to see something like, you know, being vocal on Twitter, get somebody removed from such an important project, not only for his or her career, but also just, you know, she was a major character in a TV show that we all love. So that always sucks. And, um, you know, when it comes to how this affects the projects that she was involved in already, The Mandalorian being one, and like you said, The Rangers of the New Republic, a show that I was really, really excited for uh, when it was announced uh, a couple months ago. Wow, that seems like a long time. Um, but, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to downgrade what uh, Gina Carano did in The Mandalorian because I do think she had a really strong season two. Um, you know, her performance in season one, I think everybody kind of knew what it was, you know what I mean? I mean, and it's, it's no, it's no hidden fact that she's not the greatest actor on screen, but even I said it on this podcast, I do think she has a Schwarzenegger element of being an incredible action star, but maybe not the greatest actor. So how does that affect Rangers of the New Republic moving forward? Thankfully for, you know, just continuity, they never really attached Gina, uh, Cara Dune directly to that project. So you can still very much have a Rangers of the New Republic show that deals with the same stories, the same conflicts, and the same types of characters. You, will, you won't have that big face to put on the poster, though, that we all recognize from Mandalorian. So I think what that does for Lucasfilms, and I think that what that does for Disney, um, you kind of got to get a bigger name in there to kind of front that show a little bit just to keep that pull going because you know Cara Dune from Mandalorian is one thing but you know a big actress that's playing this new role could be a bigger thing as far as Mandalorian goes I just don't think we're going to see the Cara Dune character back I don't see them recasting her you know like I said I do think that character had a really strong second season but you know no permanent deep ties on the actual show itself moving into season three so um you know it's unfortunate and you hate to see it but you know that's, that's hollywood baby it's the biz and like you said we're here in mickey mouse's house you play by the mouse's rules absolutely and one thing i, I did want to add to that um is, which is interesting you bring up the ranges of the new republic aspect you do kind of have to replace her character with someone that is still going to be a liaison into the Mando universe, the Mando side of the galaxy. Because as they mentioned at Disney Investor Day, Rangers of the New Republic, Boba Fett, Ahsoka, and Mandalorian season three will all have some <laughs> sort of big crossover event. I know, so exciting. But in terms of that right. Rangers of the New Republic ensemble, the one name that we presume to be attached to it was going to be Gina Carano. You have to fill her slot or at least put another person on that ensemble right. that we've already seen before. I think what that's going to translate to is, you know, that show being fronted by a new character and whoever he or she is, is going to be a big enough name to draw initial um, pull to the show, you know, to get people to want to watch, you know, have an exciting name attached to it um, as opposed to a character we're familiar with. But as far as the Mando tie-in later on in a crossover event with that show, I think what the move, the chess piece that will need to be moved is they bring somebody from Ahsoka, from Boba Fett, from uh, the Mandalorian into that show for a you know one, two episode cameo just to get that get that tie-in established so we can move it forward. It's not gonna be as airtight as you know it originally was. It's it's one hundred percent not, but you know, that's that, that's something that you know we can't you know dwell on too much. Um, my prediction for somebody from the other universe shows that they'll bring into that show to play a fun cameo and to build that 
relationship, Finnick Shand. Yeah, yeah. The hottest star from the last two episodes of uh, Mandalorian Season 2, Finnick Shand. I think she'll somehow make an appearance as some sort of a Hitman Jessica Jones-like, you know, role. Could be cool. Um, you know, we could start theorizing as early as right now. How about that? Isn't that the greatest thing about the internet? It is pretty fun. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be more details about the story in the coming weeks. We'll be sure to keep you updated on everything we learn and all the updates with Rangers of the New Republic and the Mandalorian going forward. But Matt, we're both here to talk about one real authentic piece of news. Oh, yeah. It's been hyped for a while. Oh, yeah. And Snyder Cut has officially dropped their official trailer, not just a sizzle reel, not just having, you know, hallelujah played over a bunch of unfinished clips. No, <laughs> we have an official final polished trailer. And let's talk about it. We have thoughts. So, Matt, we just got done watching for the very first time the official trailer for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Sure, we've gotten footage in the past, but this is our first real glimpse at what we can expect from this retelling of 2017's Justice League in that director's cut vision by Zack Snyder. Matt, I just got your uh, your first time reaction um, in live time when we watched this trailer together. What are your initial thoughts and how does this impact your anticipation for that March 18th drop? Um, it, it, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm overtly more excited than I was. I'm definitely not less excited, though. Um, I, I'm excited to kind of see some of the story beats being put together. This definitely looks like a different movie um, than the original Justice League that we got. I think that a lot of the same plot points are going to have to stay in just because this is the third of a trilogy, you know? So you got to keep some things together. But, um, you know, like I've been saying for a couple weeks, I think at the very minimum, this is going to be a visual spectacle. This looks great. Um Looks very dark, looks very gritty, looks very DCEU, which is on brand. It's okay. Um, you know, that's not a negative, but it, you know, it does look DCEU dark and gritty, which is fine. Um, but uh, yeah, it was cool seeing all the characters again um, in a kind of a different lighting. You know, you, you can tell a lot of the differences, you know, because there were some similar scenes from the original Justice League in that trailer. You know, there was, you know, Clark Kent coming home and the nightmare scene that we've already kind of got you know, reimagined, but still, um, uh, Aquaman and Cyborg, but, um, you can see that they've done a lot of different color passings over this, you know, in post-production, you know, a lot of different, you know, color corrections and, you know, different levels to different things. It's more blue than yellow, which, um, is kind of a big contrast difference from the original Justice League. I think that one had a lot more of a gold kind of tint to it. This one had a lot more of a, uh, steel, more, uh, you know, bluish kind of tint, which I like a lot um, for the Justice League. Um, the nightmare scene looks great. I think that's going to be the spectacle of the whole movie. Um, and, you know, I don't know if we're going to go beat by beat. Probably not. It's just reaction video. But, um, you know, the Joker being in the nightmare scene there at the end, talking to Bruce Wayne outside of what we thought was going to happen. Very cool. Very exciting. Um, yeah, so I'm not less excited. I'm not overtly more excited, but it's great to see a first look. Liam, what do you think? Yeah, nothing really changed for me. I'm still at like the same level of anticipation. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Uh, upon my first watch of the trailer, I was a bit underwhelmed because everyone on Twitter was, you know, saying it was much better than it was because that's just kind of how the mentality behind this movie is, which is to no fault. There's a, There's an entire group 
that is, you know, dying to see this movie. And I'm just not a part of that. I'm not as anticipating it as much as other people. However, I agree the visual spectacle. This this trailer conveys the the epic tone that I don't think 2017's Justice League hit. 2017's Justice League felt very forced and felt very rushed. Sure, mm-hmm. you know, we have some standalone movies peppered in now in between that can heighten the experience of Justice League now, even though I'm pretty sure Aquaman takes place canonically after. No Justice one knows. League. No one cares. They reference Steppenwolf <laughs> in one throwaway line in Aquaman. But this trailer... But it's the give... first time he gets the staff that he uses in Justice yeah. League, so nothing <laughs> nothing matters. Exactly. But uh, this trailer did give those epic vibes um, the mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne lines about, you know, I'm putting an alliance together and, you know, we need the age of heroes to return. That stuff Let's gets go. me pretty pumped up. I got to give a shout out to Jeremy Irons for the line of the trailer when he goes, oh. uh, if you're going to uh, uh, attack the charging bull, you might not want to wave the red cape in front of it. And I just so that, cool man. that mixed with the imagery of this, the the silhouette of, of Clark Kent. The is hologram. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I do kind of want to talk about the Joker stuff a bit because it's obviously it's the end piece of the trailer. It's what everyone's going to be talking about. Um, the ending, the the post credits, if you will, of these trailers um, that come after the title sequence have become a staple of this is the lasting image we want to leave you with. Ones that come to mind, obviously, Spider-Man popping up in the Civil War trailer at the very end. Um, that's the only one I can really think of right now. But you know what I mean? All Infinity uh, War. Thanos, Thanos flash at the end of Infinity War. Yep. Um, just a quick uh, flash of Thanos there. Uh, uh, the our first look at Cheetah in Wonder Woman eighty four trailer. Very true. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So they they all add up, and it's it's the moment that they want you to be talking about the lasting image they want to leave you with. I I don't I don't know how I feel about Joker. Uh, I I like the voice. I like the tone, but I don't care for the mom spaghetti um face. You know, with with just the red around the lips. Like it's not a smile. It's not lipstick like from Suicide Squad. It's just like a circle of just red makeup with no smile. It's very nitpicky, I understand. But I guess if they're getting across that this this Joker at this point in time in the nightmare sequence is absolutely deranged and out of his mind, he probably wouldn't care to to put up the, you know, the high class uh, mobster Joker that we know from 2016 Suicide Squad. So I'm curious on your thoughts. Am I being too hard on this Joker or do you somewhat agree no i i don't think you're being too hard but i think you know we just need to learn a little more before we really judge the appearance too much you know my biggest flaw here is and it's ironic because i hate the face tattoos from suicide squad but they're gone now mm-hmm. so you know continuities everybody who listens to this knows that's my number one thing continuity is my favorite thing with these universe movies um Zack Snyder basically came out and said, you know, yeah, he had face tattoos in the Suicide Squad. He doesn't now. Interpret that how you will, which is lazy, in my opinion. But uh, maybe we'll find out. Who knows? But this looks like a Joker that has been captured, like you might say, deranged. You know, he's something has happened to him, and Batman needs him to accomplish a goal here. And that nightmare scene is super interesting because in the original Justice League, Still a really cool shot. You know, obviously it was convoluted and confusing, you know, how we got to there and what it meant moving forward. You know, is it a dream? Is it a premonition? Is it a flashback? Why is the flash there with a beard? All those things. But um, it looked like in that nightmare scene, which seems to be what everybody's most excited about, 
uh, Cyborg was there, and now Joker's there. So, like, this seems to be more than a dream. This seems to be more than, you know, just an average, you know, flashback sequence or premonition sequence. There's other characters involved here. It looks to me he's wearing the bulletproof vest. Joker is under, I mean, on top of his what looks like a jail outfit. We don't know for sure. Straight jacket, um, possibly. Yeah, it could be. Something like that. Um, but it looks like he he is there as almost like a prisoner tour guide kind of figure here to kind of navigate uh, Bruce Wayne through whatever the hell this nightmare sequence is, which I'm here for that. I'm, I'm here for that take on Batman having to work with the Joker for the first time on live action that we've seen. You know what I mean? That's a that's a trope from comics. It's a trope from cartoons that we've seen before. And it's really interesting because you never know who you can trust and you never know what tricks he has up his sleeve. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that nightmare sequence just to kind of get the, uh, Joker a little more fleshed out based on that, based on what we saw right there. I think he's going to have a bigger part in this movie than we all thought. Um, my over under I put on this was what? 10 minutes screen time. I gave you 12 and I think you took the slight under. Yeah. 12 and some love. I'm, I'm, I'm hammering the over on 12 now, now Ooh. that I've seen him in two different set pieces. Um, you know, like, you know, it could just be one big nightmare scene, but I assume that nightmare scene is going to be, you know, lengthy ish. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see that. Um, another thing that I noted here that I saw Zach's, uh, either Zack Snyder or somebody at HBO Max, someone said earlier this week that this version of the Justice League will have almost no humor in it. Right. You know, the, the jokes will be at a minimum at best. And, you know, people want to focus on Superman. You know, Black Superman looks dope. Um, uh, black Suit Superman, I mean. Um, yo, let's get a Black Superman in here. Not, not Idris Elba from Hobbs and Shaw. Yo, hey, that would be sick, though. That would be <laughs> you know really what I mean? cool. What if he ends up actually being Black Superman? Like, that I mean, would be he is in the D- he's in the DCEU now. He's going to be in The Suicide Squad. Oh, shit. Done. It's over. Because <laughs> continuity is so important. Um, But, uh. Uh, somebody came out and said there's no jokes we didn't see a lot of aquaman here we did not see a lot of flash they didn't talk at all in this trailer i think it's safe to say the two best parts about those two characters from justice league personally my favorite part about the justice league movie in whole was the comedy that jason momoa and ezra miller brought as barry allen and um oh wow Arthur Curry. Arthur Curry. Sorry. Um, I keep thinking of the dude from This Is Us, Justin Harley. Um, (laughs) Smallville is the best Superman. Um, But yeah, so like I loved the humor that they brought in Justice League. You know, the the bit with the rope and everything Barry Allen does. I I find very funny, very Quicksilver-like, very Spider-Man-like, you know. Um, So what do you think of the fact that one of your favorite DCEU characters, Aquaman, who in his standalone movie, hella comedy in that, Helicomedy and flash shots of, you know, explosions coming off from off screen. It's insane. But, you know, what do you think of those two characters specifically probably getting their most redeemable quality stripped away from them? It's very interesting because, you know, looking at this movie as a whole, you know, the original Justice League was a runtime of two hours. Now we're getting four hours. So if you're telling me you're stripping away elements from 2017's Justice League, that means we're getting like scenes that made the theatrical cut now getting deleted or rewritten if we're going to strip away the comedy bits which is you know interesting and obviously it's an r-rated justice league they're really emphasizing you know this is like the apocalypse the nightmare sequence comes to mind um the final battle with steppenwolf comes to mind and just towns getting shredded and all that comedy i think 
has a place in, in movies like that. Infinity War and Endgame both dealt with very end of the world themes, yet were both very funny movies. Very funny. Right? I I feel a little. I, I understand if you're gonna like censor Jason Momoa's comedy by taking him away from scenes, but I don't like the idea of keeping him in scenes where he was going to have a line of dialogue that comes off as comedic and changing it around to make him more serious. Cause I feel like that's almost like a betrayal of the character you've set up because there are some characters, I don't think some of the jokes Bruce Wayne cracked in justice league. I felt like that's, that's written. That feels scrumpy old man, Bruce Wayne. Like, it right. was... but it feels scripted because the character we got set up in Batman v Superman was very dark, very brooding, very all business. Jason Momoa, however, from the jump, has been my man, you know, quick witty. You, you hear him in our intro. He's he's all happy and uh, filled with charisma. Same with Ezra Miller's Barry Allen. Um, I don't, personally, the Ezra Miller comedy uh, doesn't really land for me. Jason Momoa's does. But both but of those it, characters. Though. Yeah, I get it. It's a, chem- of- it's a chemistry thing with those two. Exactly. And both of those characters are set up to have comedic bits. Rewriting them to be different feels a little like betraying the characters that have been set up and have been established in Momoa's solo solo Aquaman movie. And I know Ezra Miller hasn't got his chance to shine in a solo movie yet, but we assume in his solo movie, he's going to have some chops. Mm-hmm. Well, and here's something to think about, though. This is a rewriting, a retelling of our first time meeting these characters. And that's been kind of my question this entire time. Like Aquaman happened after Justice League and we got all that. It's your favorite DCEU movie. There are mm-hmm. people who love that movie. There, you know, there's kind of two sides to the coin. It's a great comic book movie with, you know, a good family dynamic and fun bits. I am more on the side. It was a fun movie. Don't get me wrong. It's kind of CGI porn, you know, in my opinion. Very I, I, much can't, so. yeah. I can't watch it and get over the fact that this is just, you know, they threw everything they could at this thing. But Regardless, it's an established movie in the DCEU. This is a retelling, a reintroduction of the Arthur Curry character, of the Barry Allen character. So, you know, we ha- we kind of have to forget that that Aquaman movie ever even happened because this is, in essence, a brand new character. We've never met him before up until this movie, you know, theoretically. You know what I mean? Like, we have to assume this movie came out in 2017. This is how we have to approach this. And, you know, that adds to some of the convoluted. But, you know, the vibe of this movie seems very serious and, uh, you know, mission based, which I like. You know, I like I like Batman, you know, being the leader of this team. Um, you know, I've 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 said my piece on the fact that they need to bring Superman back to life at some point in this movie. And that's going that that is just such a everyone knows we're getting to that point at some point it's, in the movie. It's a momentum staller, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, something like that. Um, you know, unless he does it super clever, which he could. Um, but yeah, you know, so we're gonna see. We're gonna um see how they handle that. But the trailer, I like the tone they're setting. They're leaning into the dark grittiness a little bit. Um let's do this real quick predictions and we'll get out of this. Um my first one. I think you, we can expect a man of steel like opening to this movie where we get a lot of um, backstory. We get a lot of exploration on Steppenwolf and Darkseid and the mother boxes and all of that. You know, just like in Man of Steel, we got, what, fucking 30 minutes of Krypton falling apart, mm-hmm. whatever it was. Very dope scenes, but wow, I that was a long part of that movie to start off with before we got our Clark Kent. 
Um, so I expect something like that where we get a ton of exploration up front, a look at uh, Themyscira, a look at uh, Atlantis, a look at Stefan Wolf in the past with the mother boxes and really just get that out of the way so we can <clears throat> move forward with the other three and a half hours of this movie, knowing what the problem is, knowing the relationships he's set and then building to dark side, basically getting Stefan Wolf out of the way is kind of what I predict. Not in a bad way, but in an exploration kind of way. Yeah, I, I agree with you all those you, bits. <laughs> I agree with all those bits. Ready for a comparison you probably were not expecting whatsoever. Can't wait. Um, I would like I would like them to take that approach because of what I love about one of a few things I love about Thor the Dark World. The beginning of that movie, it very much starts out with before there was light, there was darkness. And then yeah. there flashbacks to to Thor's grandfather fighting the dark elves and all that. And it just set up this world as this is a threat that's been going on for a very long time. And now it's back. So if you're going to, if you're going to start this movie with that epic scene from 2017's justice league with uh, the Atlanteans, um, mm -hmm. the Amazons, even Lantern Sabrina, Corps. the green Lantern Corps fighting alongside in unity with human, with humanity fighting uh, you know, the parademons and uh, dark side and all that. I think that's a really great way to start things off. But at the same time, I, I agree. I don't want it to be too long. This is a four hour movie. If we got 30 minutes on Krypton in a two and a half hour man of steel, I don't want this to push another 30 minutes. But at the same time, if this is going to be the end all be all battle for what was Zack Snyder's DCEU, it would only make sense that the setup for the remaining whatever amount of runtime is left is going to push 30, 40 minutes. So I think it all comes down to pacing. Sure, we want the, the movie to keep moving and all that. But if we do start out with a big exposition, there might just be so much to get out of the way that we have to keep it in that Man of Steel length territory. This would have been so much better as four episodes, man. Would have been a lot more digestible. So much better, I think. I mean, I don't know. We 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 haven't seen it yet. Um, the trailer was cool. Just planting my flag in the ground. At least this is going to be a visual spectacle. You know what I mean? The gifts from this show. Twitter is going to take gifts from this movie and put the word masterpiece next to it all over the place, man. So if you don't care about story, if you don't care about character development, if you don't care about continuity, I think you're gonna think this is a masterpiece. Those other factors, we don't know yet. But at minimum, I think they're going to hit the aesthetic. Um, and that trailer proved it once again. But uh, yeah, man, March 18th, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and it's going to have an intermission. How about it? We know we're getting Snyder Cut on March 18th, but one movie that is still kind of up in the air is that Black Widow May 7th release. It's been pushed two separate times now. It's supposed to come out in 2020 in May, then pushed to November, and now finally coming out may 7th 2021 some new details here that you know they're willing to be flexible um but kevin feige's against the hybrid release but it's ultimately not his decision chapek can override it looking at that quote uh that we got there from variety i kind of interpret that as this movie's coming out in may regardless it's either going to be in theaters exclusively on disney plus or a hybrid release done said and done like final story final straw it just remains to be seen now what goes forward. Uh, later in that story, it also said that Disney kind of has a three to four week window, as they've put it, to make a final decision. And hearing final decision, we haven't really yeah. heard that attached to Black Widow since it was first moved. So, Matt, I want to get your thoughts um, specifically on the Kevin Feige side of things. Do you think 
he will willingly compromise and move this to a hybrid, move this to exclusive to Disney Plus? Or do you think Disney is just going to usurp their control over Marvel Studios and make this decision for him? I, you know, and and you can read it in that article on the direct.com. You know, we all we all want to think that Kevin Feige has every bit of say in every single decision that Disney makes when it comes to Marvel. And, you know, I'm sure he has more pull than anybody else in the building. You know what I mean? You know, it's like um, it's like Clint Eastwood walking into Universal Studios. You know, he he get he gets a little bit more of a say than other people do. Probably the most out of anybody, any employee of Disney Plus, not somebody on the board of directors, not a Chapek like character. Who I I like Bob Chapek. I think we all you know like him. I think he's I think he's a a better talker than people give him credit for. He does. I mean he 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 his announcements get me excited about stuff, and I think that's what his role needs to be a Roger Goodell like thing. So. We all want to think that Kevin Feige has every bit of say, but that's just not the case. I mean, you look at the Sony Spider-Man stuff, you look at, you know, some of the other things that ended up happening in the MCU. Disney does have a lot of say, especially when it comes to releases, when it comes to promotion, when it comes to things like that. So uh, I, while I think the, the biggest thing I learned from this, they are going to wait until the very last second to pull this thing out of theaters because the truth of the matter is, you know, I know we've been saying this for like a year now, there's still three months until they need to make this decision, you know, two to three months. And, you know, just the way we saw this whole pandemic move last year, as far as when it spiked, when it slowed down, things like that, along with the fact that we've, you know, we've ran this drill before, we're going to be a little more better prepared for, you know, when those dips come, how we can take advantage of them. They're just going to wait. They're going to wait and see. And, you know, they're going to do everything they can to release it in theaters. But I agree with you. I think this did put a kind of a final nail in the coffin of the release date moving around. I We said it a couple weeks ago. I think they're at, at the end of the day, they're just, they're just going to have to punt and put it on Disney+. Plus. My question about that Kevin Feige quote, you know, he doesn't want a hybrid release, but would he be okay with an exclusive Disney+, Plus like premium paywall release? Because isn't that kind of the same thing? <laughs> It's the it's the same thing except to the extreme because there is no theater option, right? Yeah, and and that's a good point. That that price is not going to go low. And I understand like the movie theater experience here, but you know, like we said a couple weeks ago on this podcast, how long can this get pushed until it really starts affecting things down the line? Like, and also like how many movies are you going to keep pushing? I don't know. With as great as Disney Plus is doing, they have more confidence than ever that their product is good. I think capitalizing on that would be a better situation than, you know, riding on the Disney Plus stuff to get them through the movie problems. You can rearrange the dominoes, which they have done with phase four. But at the end of the day, they they push that WandaVision one and they're going to start all falling into yeah. place. WandaVision will hit Falcon Winter Soldier. Falcon Winter Soldier will hit Loki. And eventually, Black Widow is going to have to fall. And it seems like it's going to be sooner rather than later. Right. And if you move more than one domino out of line, that the last domino to fall doesn't hit anything. And we're at another standstill. And how how worth it is it? Don't know. But it's all we can, we'll find out. We, we will find out. And what we can talk about, you know, the, the future of Marvel and the theaters may be uncertain. But the future on streaming is bright. And I wouldn't even call it the future, Matt. It's the damn present. It's happening, it's happening every single week. Oh, yeah. We're here to talk once again about WandaVision, episode six, and all new Halloween spectacular. Ba -ba 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 -ba
Welcome in to WandaVision episode six review right here on the direct podcast. We have made it through two thirds of an incredible season of television. WandaVision has kept us on our toes every step of the way. And last week was no different. Another great episode. Liam, your initial thoughts and feelings about WandaVision episode six. So I'm not going to lie. I felt a little underwhelmed, but expectedly so. Knowing that this was episode six, I knew that if we're going to separate WandaVision into the traditional movie three-act structure, episodes one through three is act one, four through six is act two, seven through nine is act three. Typically in movies, the end of act two leaves, you know, much to be desired. And then you get the payoff in act three. So knowing that I kind of went in expecting more questions to be asked than answered. And I think that's what we got. So I would say I'm, I was underwhelmed in a very much okay sense. Like I am very content with being underwhelmed in this episode because I want the meat to come in, in episode seven, eight, and nine. Um, someone on Twitter, I want to call him up real quick because he's a he's a great uh, follow and he's a great fan of the show. Raul Jimenez uh, mm, pointed out on man. Twitter. Also, he reached out to me and, and said, you know, am I crazy in thinking, you know, I felt a little underwhelmed or is this just, you know, Marvel magic at play? And I said, hey, I felt the same way too. However, I think it was expected. I, I didn't let my expectations get too crazy um, going into this week. And I'm glad I did because I had a great time and I'm so excited for the final third of this season. Yeah, um, I think this episode, for the first time this entire season, I thought this episode wasn't as good or as exciting as the weeks previous. You know what I mean? Like, I I think, you know, obviously I'm going to sit with this for a few more days, but I think I'm going to like episode five more than I liked episode six. Whereas up to this point, you know, the episode rankings came as the release order came. You know, they've gotten better and better and better. I think, if anything, this was a sideways step. And, you know, when, you, when you're comparing things, the sideways step's always going to be a little less than the first that happened. So I think what this episode does, big utility episode here, reestablishing character dynamics and reestablishing... Uh, the characters that we knew from the first three or four episodes with the new characters we've met from the last two. You have Pietro. You have, you know, Tyler Hayward has become a much more dynamic character in this. Her, Him along with Monica Rambeau. Kind of enough, a, enough for Matt to learn his name. That's how important Tyler Hayward is. That's an incredible be. point. You're right. You're right. I didn't even realize. Like, that's how, that's how big this guy has gotten in my life that I know exactly who he is now. That's funny. I, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> but um you know we met monica in the last couple episodes we you know met you know we started to really meet tyler hayward the past couple episodes the dynamic with darcy and jimmy Wu. also on the inside though we have pietro he's back we have vision this is a new character of vision than we got in the first three episodes this is vision awoken you know what i mean so i think that this episode was built to kind of set reset those characters in this universe and kind of refamiliarize us with some of the core character dynamics here. Think about this like chess. This was a step back in order to move two steps forward in the next few episodes. You ask if, you know, um, our boy Jimenez was underwhelmed or if this is just MCU magic. I really think this is MCU magic because I think what they did here is going to increase the experience in episode seven, eight and nine so um 
like you, I think I was a tad underwhelmed just because I think for the first time in a long time, we got more questions than answers. And, you know, we got two episodes of a lot of answers, and that's a thrilling hype. Like, that's season-ending kind of, you know, what we were expecting out of the show. You know, kind of what we got out of the past four or five episodes. I think we even said that last week. The last couple weeks has been what we expected at the end of the season. So because it wasn't up to there, I think we may have felt underwhelmed. But like I said, I think it's a strategic storytelling move to get us ready for what they're inevitably going to hit us in the face with in episode seven. And it's not like this episode had nothing in it. So let's dive into it. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. That's the best we got, guys. If you have a more creative way for us to do the spoiler thing, please let us know on Twitter. So, Liam, we're going to kind of break this down. What are the big questions we have from this show? And I'm going to start with, I think, the star of this show, Vision. Has Wanda completely lost control of Vision in WandaVision? I'm going to say yeah, because from the get-go, when, when Vision is introduced in this episode in that, you know, killer luchador costume players you know what we got going on there um he the way he converses with her he's so self-aware he knows how to you know kind of give her what she wants and engage in that like pretend everything's normal discourse and you know oh crime calls wanda when really he's up to you know snooping around the neighborhood and figuring out what the hell's going on so he is is such a fascinating character because we learn in this episode how sentient he is and how how hell bent he is on making the things right. He promises Agnes, I promise to you, we we will, I, I will make things right. And he's, you know, later in the episode, towards the big climactic moments, he's willing to give his life just to get the warning call out there. He's he's willing to sacrifice any stream of consciousness he has left just to Paul Revere himself and be like you know the british are coming wanda's controlling this do something about it we need your help so vision is definitely to me the most intriguing character going forward just because of his motivations which seem extremely selfless but your initial question about you know has she lost control yeah i think so and you know you see it just from the dialogue fresh off the top and it's uh vision you know when wanda tells him one by the way, Elizabeth Olsen in the original Scarlet Witch uniform. Truly one of the coolest things I've seen in one of these Marvel shows. She looked fantastic, and it was just so unbelievably comic booky and ridiculous, and I loved it. And then we got Quicksilver in his original costume, which was even more ridiculous. And then yeah. the twins got costumes, and it was so on point. I appreciate that they did that for us, and they went all in. Captain America... Scarlet Witch and Vision, now Quicksilver, all getting that treatment. Good stuff. So, but as far as like right from the jump, Wanda says, "Thank you for humoring me and wearing this ridiculous costume." And right away, you know they don't they don't mend any fences here. It's Vision looks at her. Well, there's no more clothes. There's no other clothes in my closet. So, like like he is still pissed off from what happened at the end of last episode. This wasn't a full reset of mental and emotional capacity here for vision. Like he still remembers everything they said. And it's such an eerie and weird kind of dynamic they have because like Wanda realizes that vision's still mad about it, but it's kind of like, they're not talking about it. You know what I mean? Like they, they chose just to not talk about it because Wanda, you know, knows that 
you know, he's, you know, speculative and curious and things like that. But she just, you know, she doesn't do anything about it. So, yeah, I think I, I don't think she can do anything about it at this point. So, like, as far as, you know, spoiler, 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 spoiler. Vision made it to the edge of Westview. And he made it to the very end there where, um, you know, he got to the point where there was just placeholder civilians there not playing a role and just standing there frozen with tears scrolling down their face because Wanda's not using them right now. So they are literally stand on the side backstage props. That was just so creepy, man. Like Envision got there and he got through that hell and then he got to the edge and started getting out. And, you know, obviously probably the most beautiful scene in the episode was him getting torn apart back into the hex and it just like how many ways can we see vision die that are gonna make us all keel over in tears like how how many times can they do this to us like the first one was emotional and romantic and sacrificial the second one was brutal and fucking heinous and quick and unexpected this one is a man being torn pixel by pixel and and his body's being ripped to shreds like unbelievable just like emotion there from Paul Bettany and Darcy and everybody watching. But it looked like the hex was pulling him back in almost as if he, they didn't want him to escape. I don't think it wasn't necessarily like for me personally, I didn't read it as, Oh, if you leave this place, you won't survive, which I think is true. But I think it was more when you leave this place, it's going to try to pull you back in, which is what I think it was doing. So what do we think about that scene and the implications of it moving forward? It's, it's very fascinating how you point, about, point out how, how many times he's died because my head immediately went to uh, Wanda, I've come to bargain, and he just continually just gets Get his ass kicked. That's how Doctor Strange got so strong, though. So maybe that's something we might be interested in. That's a very good point. We know how, how the MCU loves their, their parallels with their characters. That's one of my cool. favorite plot pockets in the MCU is the fact that we don't know how long Dr. Strange was doing that. Could have mm -hmm. been 500 years. That's why he's like the greatest at what he does. That would make sense. Cause he's only got one movie. He hasn't even had the full trilogy. That's what I'm yet. saying. But, but speaking on, on that, that barrier situation, um, I think, I, I don't think vision's the only person that can't be let out. I think when she reinforced it to like the red energy, mm. I think no one can really easily get out and they're always going to be pulled back in because interesting when Wanda, Wanda walked out. Actually, that's where we get a little hazy because Wanda walked out fine when it was its normal clear barrier, but she's in control. Monica yeah. was forced out when it was the clear barrier barrier, but Wanda sent her through. And then Monica, initially, when she was messing with the clear barrier, she got sucked in. And it's clear that, you know, they can't really get anyone in when it's the red barrier. We see that in future promotional material with the truck that hits it. and It doesn't make its way through necessarily. Who built that truck, I wonder? Yeah, who, who could that have been? Mm. Anyway, I digress. But yeah, the, uh, the whole situation is very, very fuzzy. And the fact, you know, obviously we, we see the hex expand and engulf more of the surrounding elements in the surrounding town. I, I think it's a situation of not just vision being sucked back in, but I would be very interested to see what happens if a civilian tries to leave because vision is made up of, he's, a, he's the only living vibranium synthesoid, as Darcy puts it. His pieces can get sucked back in and puzzle pieced back together. What happens if someone like me or you, Matt, tries to leave? Is Wanda going to shred the skin and muscle tissue off our body until we're a skeleton? Like, what? 
I would never try to leave Wanda's, you know, paradise. I would just be happy to be a part of it. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Um, that is a great actually transition into my next question. The hex expanded, man. Like, like, you know, Wanda and Pietro got into it. Billy and Tommy, who got powers, by the way. Yep. What? Yep. What? Yep. I want to say this real quick. The acting in this show has been spectacular, right? You know, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, the comedic stuff from Catherine Hahn, and now Evan Peters, who brought a huge jolt of energy into this show. Um, that I'm not even saying it needed, but it was great, right? Here comes the butt. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do the kids kind of suck? Okay, the kids... Because they're, have- they're, def- they're definitely not awesome, right? I'm <laughs> confident in saying that. I meant to say this last week, the acting, like when they were talking with Sparky, uh, the dog, and they were like, Awful. you know, nothing, nothing to see here, mom. Like who barked? It was me. Like, but it's, it's, it's bad kid acting in that it's like so adorable. Like it doesn't take me out of the show. Is it playing like, into the sitcom trope? I wonder. Or- that's what I, th- I think that's the strength of it. It's like when they were talking heads and talking to the camera, I love that because for so that's many, so of, good. That's for so, so many good. of the previous sitcoms that I didn't really have a strong emotional attachment to, I grew up on Malcolm in the Middle, right. and I I recognized that immediately, and I loved it. This so, episode hit our way for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just to kind of wrap that thought up, like I I think that you know they can be better. I need but to I think if there's a if there's a way to have that strength, have have it play into their strengths. It's in the sitcom vibe. Bad kid acting is the core of sitcoms in the 80s and 90s. Something I forgot. You know what I mean? Something that I didn't realize. So I'm going to give him another episode. I take it back. I take it back. I still think they're not awesome. I think that's, you know, I think that's okay to say. I will give them another week before I question how good they are as characters. But anyway, (laughs) I digress again. Um, The Hex expanded. She did it. Seemingly in order to save Vision, who is trapped just outside the hex and needed to be pulled back in in order to be safe. And that's actually a really good transition into kind of my next big question because the hex expands here, right? As far as like how much we appreciated the 90s stuff that we got in this episode, you know, it was really great with the costumes and the camera work. And like you said, the open. Do you think next episode, because the hex has expanded so much, is going to be even more you know, TV sitcom based, because when you think about it, like, you know, everything that's happened outside of the hex has been right outside the hex, everything sword related, you know, it's not like we're going off into anywhere else in this world. You know what I mean? It's either in the sitcom, in the hex or right outside the wall on the sword base. That sword base is gone. It's now been engulfed by the sitcom reality. Um, You know, we saw a few of our main characters, Hayward, Rambo and Jimmy Woo get away. So we're going to have a little bit outside the hex. Um, but like, what do you, do you think we're going to get another majority sitcom episode a lot like the earlier episodes? If we do get another majority sitcom episode, I think it's the final one because based on, you know, I always go back to promotional material, but it, it's what we have to go off of. We, we still have that modern family one, you know, up oh, just another case of the Mondays, uh, right? says, you know, <laughs> <right? laughs> but so we, we have that one to focus on. And then after that, you know, you don't really have any other decades to play with because modern family is essentially the 2010s. I would argue that this was kind of half nineties, half two thousand. It was definitely, I, I would say it's more early two thousands vibes than anything else. Sure. So if, if we're going in that, in that chronological order, it would make sense that next week we go into modern family, but you raise a strong point. Cause when you said more 
sitcom i thought you meant like is is the physical barrier of the sitcom gonna be expanding and it's like well yeah obviously because the hex got bigger but no the the sword base is is gone like yeah that's where all action took place (laughs) could are we maybe going back to sword headquarters that that could be an interesting tidbit um is is jimmy woo does he got a place in new jersey that he's taking monica to or you know monica mentions they're meeting the person that that's going to help them get in her guy Maybe maybe we get a, a sweet debut or a returning character next week, whoever that could be. You, you want you want a prediction on that real quick? Let's go. Let's hear it. I mean, what's yours? I I, I do you have a guess? Who do you think? Uh, I think it's going to be Talos's daughter, personally. Talos's daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'd be fun. She in scroll form. Uh, scroll form would be very. I feel like that's the way to go. Or actually. I, I don't know. You could kind of go either way, but I, she would be grown by now. And I think there was a line in Captain Marvel about how uh, she's got ties with like astrophysicist stuff or something about that. That's that, that one I haven't really looked into too much, but that has been the most in not intriguing. Cause I think we both know what the most intriguing option is, but uh, that's been the most one that made most sense to me. So I think it has to be a big pop, right? They've, they've, and I say that because they tease it in two episodes. Like, Mm -hmm. like I even thought when she said it at the beginning of episode five that we were going to get it at the end of that episode. And then when we didn't, when we not only didn't get it in episode six, she teased it again. I think it has to be a big pop. So I think returning character is probably the most likely, you know, a Hank Pym, a Rhodey Rhodes kind of thing. Um, but as far as like new characters, somebody we haven't met, obviously we all want Reed Richards here. And I think if that's the case, if it is a Fantastic Four member, if it is Reed Richards, or if it's any character we haven't met yet, it has to be John Krasinski's Reed Richards because that is the only actor-character combo that will get the pop that this moment has officially built up to. You know what I mean? Like like anybody else, it would take a couple lines of dialogue to explain exactly who that is. But if we see Krasinski with the hair, it's over. It's over. Hi, I'm Dr. Reed Richards. Like, like it would be the biggest pop Marvel's gotten in a long time. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. And, you know, one last thing. Darcy's in the hex. Yeah. Darcy's in the show, man. I cannot wait to see the character she plays. I saw a theory that, you know, Darcy's going to be landed close to Vision after the expansion of the Hex there. What if Vision awakens Darcy and now we have a spy on the inside? You know what I mean? Like, all these other characters have been through this these days and days of mental torture, and you see that with Agnes. If Darcy gets awoken, there's a chance that she could be real-life Darcy living in Westview. It's very intriguing. I also saw another theory that's way out there. I, I don't really put a lot of stock into it, but Agnes is a red herring for Agatha Harkness and that Darcy is actually Agatha Harkness. This one's really wild. The only support I saw for this in this episode was that she says she's close to getting past a firewall, um, but she waits until Monica and Jimmy Wu leave to resume her work. She doesn't resume immediately. They leave, she looks up, she makes sure they're they're gone, then she goes back to doing her work. That theory, like, I don't put a lot of stock into it. However, the fact that she's now in the hex, it, it offers, you know, some some something new happens with her character next week. That's the all. The Liam Crowley Tickler file. Yeah, we're, we're keeping tabs on, on Darcy Lewis. Tabs on it. So, um, 
you know, I think what this show is doing so well, week by week, every single episode, at the same time, it it it's it hints towards confirming a lot of popular theories, while at the same time, kind of dispelling them. You know what I mean? Like they contradict themselves within the show as far as like where the characters are heading on such a frequent basis. And um, you know, the big thing here is obviously Pietro. You know, Evan Peters playing Quicksilver, Pietro Maximoff. You know, Liam, I know you are leading the ship of the Evan Peters is Mephisto uh, bandwagon here. And while you're right, there were a lot of signs in this episode that did point to that. I, I personally feel there was a lot of signs that pointed against that as well. And and those are more rooted in his motivations and his dialogue. And, you know, why would the Mephisto character be asking the questions Evan Peters asked and be, you know, acting the way he's acting as opposed to trying to smooth over the situation. So I, I think the show, same thing with Agatha Harkness, you know what I mean? Or Agnes, you know, we, we all want to believe she's got a bigger role than she does. But again, for another episode where she seems just as freaked out as everybody else, she seems like she is just like any other citizen. She's just playing a little bigger of a role in the actual show. You know what I mean? Just like Norm or uh, um, Herb, you know? But... But then again, like I say all that because she did freak out and she did have that real come to life moment where she didn't know what was going on. But why was Agnes on the edge of town? Why is this the only episode where she's not incredibly involved? She's even in the opening credits of this of uh, WandaVision for the first time. We see Agnes in the opening credits and still when Wanda's living her life, she is on the edge of town, seemingly on her way out but got stuck. So it, it played both sides of that coin on the exact same scene. And I think that's what this show is doing so well. So as far as Pietro Mephisto, who sent him, who is he, you know, I, I know you're on the Mephisto train with Evan Peters. What are your kind of overall thoughts on the whole, you know, contradictory style of this show? Yeah. I, I have two, two ways to go down that street. And I do kind of want to touch on the Agnes bit a little bit real quick because you brought up a very interesting point there's a chance that she's just Agnes now because we've all just been under the assumption that if she is Agatha Harkness, Agnes is the alias and she's hiding her past. But what if Agatha Harkness is her future? What if this WandaVision um, show is her origin story? And we never really considered the aspect of what happens to people when they're, you know, go back to normal, quote unquote. Norm freaked out and he was, you know, back to who he is in real life. Agnes freaked out. And then she started like cackling a little bit. She so what if fucking yeah, lost it? <laughs> yeah, she was losing her mind. What if, you know, this whole situation makes Agnes go crazy, turning her into the future Agatha Harkness. And then she becomes, you know, an adversary for Wanda Maximoff down the line. You know, what's the, what's the famous line that Ultron delivers in age of Ultron. Everyone creates the things they dread. What if Wanda's the one who created one of her greatest adversaries in the comics this time in live action. I think that that's a very uh, intriguing possibility moving forward because Marvel likes to retcon, you know, the weird comic origins. Agatha Harkness in the comics is a Salem witch who was killed during the Salem witch trials and has like just lived throughout time. That seems a little out there for Marvel. So I think if they're going to retcon, that would be one of the characters they would go forward with. But the Pietro side of things, 
I think I wrote an article last week about the different possibilities of who he could be. And this week, I think there's a couple we can cross off. There is no way he is Aaron Taylor Johnson's Quicksilver because he behaves like someone who knows who, who Aaron Taylor Johnson's Quicksilver is publicly. He acts like any, any backstory he assumes is stuff that would be public knowledge. I was shot. I'm Sokovian. That's about it. I'm a speedster. Anytime when he brings up the, uh, you know, oh, remember when uh, mom and dad took us trick-or-treating, blah, blah, blah. And Wanda goes, that's not how I remember it. And he's like, oh, well, you know, super, I super quick note about that scene. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, one, they were dressed up as Nick Fury and Black Widow oh, in that yep. scene. And I don't know if you noticed, but look in the background. There's a car on fire. There's havoc in the streets and there's gunshots going on because Scovia is a broken country. <laughs> No place to raise a child. <laughs> I, I, I did not notice the background stuff, but that's very evident. That it was, was low-key hilarious. There was literally a war going on behind them, and they were still going trick-or-treating. That's I, Now I want to watch it for a third time. Just I know, to, right? I know. Sorry. Continue your uh, point. But the And then later on, you know, she asks him another question, and then he's like, oh, you're testing me. But he never answers the question. So all these personal aspects that the public wouldn't know about Aaron Taylor Johnson's Quicksilver, he avoids. He only portrays this character based on what is already public knowledge. So I think we can cross that out. I think we can cross out that he was, I don't, I don't know if we can cross out that he was sent in by sword because I think that there's still a subtle possibility. I think one thing we can add Ready for this one? This is very out there. I think we can possibly add in that Evan Peters is playing Evan Peters and that Kick-Ass, the movie, which is referenced, is a movie in the MCU and that the fact that Wanda goes like, oh, Kick-Ass, and she like kind of has a thought about it. Maybe she matches up the fact that, you know, my new brother looks a lot like the actor Evan Peters in this in, in that mood this one's really weird, weird. i, I kind of want to scrap it because i'm i'm losing faith in it as i say you see someone backtracking on a theory like in live time it's yeah. a cra it's a crazy thing to watch <laughs> uh, yeah i think that's a, that's a time i saw one, you not believe that as you were saying it yep <laughs> Let, let's go to the one i have full faith in and that's uh that he's mephisto because i i kind of want to save reasons uh that for matter? the lines that matter but he he behaves like someone um he has that one conversation with wanda where he's like oh i'm not a stranger i'm not your husband like you can talk to me like basically doing everything that monica wanted to do but doing it right being like you know I, i'm trying to pull information out of you but here's why you can trust me here's why i'm different from the rest here's why you can feed me stuff that i i want to know his presence you know coming in now as an ambiguous character, we don't really know where he's going forward. Um, he's not just going to be a, another side character to add on to Wanda's story. He's going to be a bigger player. And I don't see him being a friend because he causes a lot of havoc in this episode. It, it may seem like play of harmless, playful, you know, silly uncle fun, but he's kind of a, he's kind of a goon. And, you know, he, he's encouraging this behavior from Wanda. He even says, you know, Oh, like, upset at you like i think this is an, i'm impressed wanda like this is yeah. cool like that's that's not how uh how you know vision is acting towards wanda he's telling her shut it down even if that means i die while pietro you know a character who's 
you know, also dead in, in canon in terms of Marvel canon and the current MCU is encouraging it. So I, I think that kind of behavior leads me to believe he's someone sinister. And if we're going to connect the dots of who that sinister force could be, I still believe it's going to be Mephisto. I, I totally understand all the signs pointing that way. If I were putting it on a board, I would say Evan Peters being Mephisto is inching t- more toward a favorite of like what his you know, deal is essentially. They also said the word nightmare in this episode twice. Yeah, they did. Something to think about. Nightmare, a big character is supposed to play Doctor Strange. I see that being more, but you know, Mephisto nightmare, they could even be merging those characters in a way. You know what I mean? They're, they are so similar in the comics that, you know, that, that could be kind of a hand in the stone kind of thing. I I don't know if it's just because personally, I don't want that to be the case. You know what I mean? It seems too obvious to me. And that very well could be me overthinking it. You know, like, you know, if it's not a huge twist, then why is it worth it kind of thing? That's not how I'm approaching this show. But, you know, just by what I've seen, I just can't see it being, you know, this is such a mysterious show for it to be the what I would see as the most obvious. I just have trouble wrapping my head around it. And another reason that, you know, we also think Mephisto is the one behind all this kind of pulling the strings. The reason that Wanda decided to do this was because of Mephisto. The reason Wanda is so powerful in the situation is because she's being enabled by Mephisto. That's kind of a, a shared theory along with Evan Peters being Mephisto, right? Why would the person who's behind all of this and why would the entity that is trying to have this fake reality spill out for whatever reason... Why would he be poking the bear the way he was in this episode? You know what I mean? Like, like there were points where Wanda was clearly uncomfortable with all the stuff he was bringing up and all the, you know, harsh realities. Like, hey, you know, where'd you get these kids? You know what I mean? Like, I assume they're all safe in their bed. But, you know, uh, he even says, like, you know, you've you've really done a good job mitigating the, uh, you know, the tragedy of whatever's going on here. And, you know, we had that line from Wanda. So, you don't think it's wrong and then you know evan peters no i don't think it's wrong you know it's it's the angel devil on their shoulders kind of reality because vision is a puppeted corpse who is acting as the angel telling wanda that this is wrong and you should stop this quicksilver also seems to be a puppeted corpse another jump scare by the way they keep doing it to us um that is you know, telling her it's okay, keep going. So that does lend itself toward Mephisto, but I just don't understand why he would be so going out of his way to kind of wake Wanda up to how bad this is. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like Wanda was just 100% agreeing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, she, she yeeted him when she brought up the, you know, two dead husband thing. And it's just, it's, it's, I, I to me, it seemed like, in this episode, Pietro character was so hard trying to get information. So how, how did you do this? How'd this start, you know, trying to get on her good side, like you pointed out with Monica in the uh, episode three. So I just, I think that this Pietro was sent in by somebody. Why it's Evan Peters, I don't know. That's our biggest question. Um, I th- We'll get into the lines that matter. But um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the big thing. One last question I wanted to talk about real quick. Tyler Hayward and Vision. Mm. This episode didn't answer a lot of questions and more raised a few of them. Um, one, you know, one of them being Pietro. Uh, you know, why does he know so much about what's going on? Why does he know that Wanda started all this? Other, unlike Vision and the other characters, you know what I mean. So that's kind of the big question that came out of it. 
Also, can Vision survive outside the bubble? That's another one. What happens when the hex expands? But we got a lot of questions from Sword here. Tyler Hayward, director of Sword, actively tracking Vision, not Wanda. Tyler Hayward has secret encrypted files about Vision, not Wanda. What is the big deal with Hayward and Vision in this show? Why does he, even though he wants people to think that it's all about Wanda, why does he seem to care more about Vision than anything else? There's there's many there's many possibilities, and a lot of them are are super blurry because every time I, I try to go down one rabbit hole of of what he wants, I I always hit a roadblock. I hit a well, but why else? Why? That's why else? It's a good show. Yeah, that's a damn good. It's a show. damn good show. And you know what did I say about the Mandalorian? The reason why I love season two so much is because the emphasis on the subplots, and I think you know the best shows are are strongest because they have a dope main plot, but then their subplots are just as intriguing, if not more. And the subplot of what Sword is doing with Tyler, with excuse Tyler Hayward's body, Vision's uh, body, is is super intriguing. Um, you know, the fact that they they transition from sentient world observation to sentient weapons observation is no coincidence. I think that they're obviously has, they have something to do with, with creating some sort of weapon with Vision's body, but knowing that it's Marvel, we know that it, it's not just any weapon. It's got to mean something. It, it's got to mean something that's going to threaten some people, or it, it's something that, you know, Hayward is keeping from his staff. Uh, now we know why you know, he got his fingerprints involved in here in the first place. We all thought it was just because, oh, it's a bigger matter than just a missing person's case. It's a bigger matter than just a missing town. It's the Westview anomaly. And now we realize he's not there for Wanda. He's more there for Vision. Like He doesn't care what happens to Wanda. He's, he's fine with killing her. He's fine with, you know, letting her die if it means getting his asset back. Right. Um, it, it's weird, though, because I don't know if we're going to go the evil organization again because we've obviously seen that with with shield you know being infiltrated by hydra and cap winter soldier i think if they do it right it'll be distinguished enough that that sword is being manipulated by someone who's got evil ulterior motives um i i've been going down the rabbit hole for just about every question you've posed to me matt and i feel like it's just injustice if i if i don't pose my wildest theory here um because i i spent a long time today writing an article about this possibility uh there's a chance that uh tyler hayward could actually be ultron um in human form and the reason why there's there's multiple signs that point to this while i still think it's an out there theory there are signs hmm. that point to it um him being so obsessed with vision as we know ultron's final plan was to assume vision's body that was his his final form he obviously didn't get that so his plan never really came to fruition that could be why he's obsessed with Vision's body. In the Avengers Assemble cartoon, uh, obviously Marvel doesn't do direct adaptations from the comics or from their animated legacy projects, but they do take inspirations from them. In the animated Avengers Assemble series in season three, there was a government liaison figure named uh, Truman Marsh who worked with the Avengers. He swapped out Hulk for Red Hulk because he thought the regular Hulk was too threatening. He got the Avengers jailed. He created the Mighty Avengers. And then it turned out that Truman Marsh was actually Ultron in human form. And he was he was messing with the Avengers and trying to gain information. Parallels there, you could see that, you know, 
Obviously, uh, Hayward is threatened by Wanda. That's why he tries to kill her, similar to how Truman Marsh swaps out the Hulks because he's threatened by the, the regular Hulk. He's more unpredictable. Um, so that that's kind of where the theory blossomed from. And then moving forward, I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole of piecing stuff together. And the one piece of evidence that I, I you know, hearken on a lot with this theory is last week we got a line from Wanda. She looked to... Um, Monica, when Monica asks, what do you want? And she says, I have everything that I want. Um, and no one will take it from me again. And when she's saying no one will take it from me again, she shifts her glance from Monica to Tyler Hayward, uh, clearly looking at him when no one will take it from me again, camera cuts to him. He goes from being confused to kind of like an, oh shit. She, she knows type face, uh, on type expression on his face. And most people interpret that as, oh, well, Tyler Hayward's the one responsible for keeping vision from her. That's why he's referencing her taking her, uh, him taking her happiness previously. But Tyler Hayward didn't kill vision. Thanos is responsible. Tyler Hayward just had his body. So what else could he, she be referencing of, you know, this guy taking happiness from her? Ultron killed Quicksilver. So maybe she knows what's up with Hayward. And she's saying, you took my happiness before when you killed my brother back in 2015 in Age of Ultron. I'm not going to attack you because it's going to cause more problems and it'll fix. It'll reaffirm your, your theory that I'm, I'm a threat. So I'm just going to let you know, I know what you're up to little wink and nod, go back into my bubble, leave me alone. It's an out there theory, but regardless of whether or not you subscribe to Hayward being Ultron, Hayward being person X, person Y, he's bad news and he's up to something. And we're going to find out in the future weeks. I, I just, me personally, I don't want, Hayward to kind of pull the gotcha um you know you know I'm somebody else because you know if Evan Peters is going to do that with Mephesto you know two of those in one season you know this is our first season of Marvel stuff you know what I mean like they have mm. the opportunity to do you know something more than once and overplay a trope you know what I mean so um but you know just from the fact that everything you said makes sense gets me excited about the fact that you know, we, we truly have no idea what the hell is going on. And I think the best thing we can do is just do our best to pay attention to the words, the, 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 the printed ink on paper, you know, the, the lines on the page, you know, the, the dialogue, ladies and gentlemen, we are here. Your favorite show lines that matter. I'm going to start. I'm kicking it off. I'm going first this time. All right. My very first line that matters is um, Tyler Hayward talking to Monica Rambeau in an okay scene. I mean, their chemistry isn't my favorite thing, uh, Rambeau and Hayward. Um, it's not as strong as some of the other chemistries in the show. You know what I mean? I think that's a lot of the a lot of the strength of the show and as far as acting is the chemistry. Hayward and Monica... You know, they have a lot of scenes together. I just, I'm kind of getting slowed on it a little bit. But anyway, they have this line where um, they are talking about Monica and sticking up for superpowered beings and all these things. And then Hayward says something along the lines of, you know, you know, you people who were gone for, you know, all that time, you still have the, you still have the, uh, the gift of optimism. You know what I mean? You, you don't know of optimism, the luxury of optimism. You don't know what it was like those five years, you know, grinding every single day, putting the pieces together. So I think the five-year gap is going to play a huge role in motivations moving forward. 
it also, for whatever reason, made me think, huh, you know, a lot happened in that five years. How many future characters were established in that gap? And, you know, we're finally going to get to see them now that the blip is over. So, you know, just that friction of, you know, yeah, I never thought about that. People who were blipped versus people who weren't blipped. You know, the best thing we got was Brad and Peter in Spider-Man Far From Home. And, you know, that was a lot funnier than what this scene was. This was really mean and scary and sad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like Hayward was a dick. But in that moment, like, you know, you can tell, like, he's got kind of reason, like, you guys have no idea what it was like while you guys were all gone. You know what I mean? It was the world fell apart and we had to be here to pick it up. You know, so that was my first line that matters. I love that line. Line uh, that matter. That, that was actually, that was my second one I was going to say. And just to touch on it real gotcha, quick. Bitch. It gave me a lot of vibes to uh to back, you know, we, we what else do we have to compare it to? But Mandalorian season two, the Mandalorian finale, when that, that pilot for the empire says, you know, while the galaxy cheered, like, oh, you know, getting a great Cara Dune moment. Right. <sighs> that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. Um, getting that perspective of the bad guy side, even though yeah. he was the confirmed bad guy, seeing, you know, their side of things and him being like, like, you know how much effort we, we had to put in just to keep the lights on, like stuff like that. I'm like, all right, Hayward. Like I, I can see why you're acting like this because here's someone who's super threatening and, you know, if the civilians didn't feel like they took Thanos seriously enough, we know the Avengers, you know, somewhat took him seriously, at least in Infinity War. Sure, they were divided in that movie, but they went in, you know, Tony Stark says, Thanos has been in my head for, for six years at that point. The, the civilian side, they might be like, we need to be more prepared and take these threats head on. So that was a great uh, line that matters. And my first matters going uh going kind of comical with this one just because i really enjoyed it uh opening um moanda comes down in her costume pietro goes Looks and so good. he goes you know that is so and then i believe who's the speed tommy 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 goes rad and then he goes pietro goes lame and then he's like lame lame it's so funny because he's so upset yeah but he's <laughs> you know He's trying to be like his uncle so yeah. bad. He's emulating him. And it's just funny because it's like it's like when a little kid just like mimics your behavior. And it's like you know, it's like the older brother, little brother um syndrome when it's like, you know, stop copying me. And it's like, I just ah oh, damn, it's like the Peter Parker moment. I just want to be like you and I wanted you to be better. You know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that's what that scene reminded you of. <laughs> yeah, no, Pietro is like, yeah, please don't get shot up by a, a quinjet of minigun bullets. So like, funny better but um, yeah that's my first line though evan matters. peters played the estranged long-lost brother so well in this episode my i mean he brought all the comedic relief that we needed in the first 10 minutes so the rest of it could be very serious and creepy um my favorite line that he had though was when uh uh tommy comes up to him and he says something and he's like shut up billy and he goes i'm tommy and he goes don't you forget it <laughs> don't you forget it that was great um so my second line that matters comes from evan silver's uh, evan peters uh pietro man it's a tough one um it's my favorite it's 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 a line that i can't get out of my head liam it's 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 something that really i think for whatever reason makes me think i have a beat on who evan peters is in this you know why is he evan peters and not aaron taylor johnson when he's clearly playing the MCU's Quicksilver. 
um, wanted to straight up ask him the question we've been asking him all week. Why do you look different? You know what I mean? Like, why do you not look like I remember you? And Evan Peter says, look, <laughs> I get it. If I found Shangri-La, I wouldn't want to remember the past either. We know Wanda changes what things look like and what they feel like and what they act like once they enter the bubble. Is there a chance Mephisto, Nightmare, Agnes, Doctor Strange, somebody is puppeteering the actual Quicksilver from Age of Ultron, Aaron Taylor Johnson, but Wanda is manipulating that in her head to make him not look like that Pietro because that would bring up too many bad memories. You know what I mean? That would, you know, piss her off too much. So for whatever reason, she picked Evan Peters. Or, like I said last week, is this the next best thing to that Pietro? And they're sending him in um, almost as a diversion, but somebody implanted him on his head that this is your brother. Like, I, I, I don't think it was an accident that he pointed out, you know, like Wanda asked him straight up, the biggest question all week, why do you look different? Why are you the same character, but do you look different? That was the biggest question going into this episode. And Wanda asked it straight up. And Pietro was just like, look, I get it. I wouldn't want to remember the past either. So I, I, I think that was a very important answer. Again, no idea what it means. It makes me think I know what it means, but I have no idea what it fucking means. And that's my second line that matters. Sticking with the Pietro theme, I got a double feature because these lines are kind of interlinked. And, you know, going back to my previous theory about, you know, Peter's being Mephisto, possibly, uh, we got we got two. And the first one, it's a Twitter submission, Matt. Hey, Ryan H. Oh, uh, Ryan, our, our accountability buddy. Our, our accountability buddy every single week contributing something to this podcast. My I'm, man, Ryan I H. I look, Let's I get this guy a Funko, it. huh? Uh, it wasn't him. It was it was Nate. I'm Ryan H. I think I might be getting you a Funko. Keep it up. Yeah, we 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 might we we gotta we gotta you know uh what's the word for when uh compensate we gotta compensate somehow. I mean, he's doing uh, so much good work for the direct podcast. He's he's he gets a producer credit at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. If we had credits, we'd put you in a yeah. <laughs> Ryan H sends in on Twitter, uh, time to throw you another contender for hashtag lines that matter. matter. He even gave the time code hashtag. at 940 of episode six. Uh Pietro says, Unleash hell, demon spawn. That's no accident because we know Billy and Tommy in the comics are, you know directly related to Mephisto and Matt, I think you know this one a little better than me, their ties. So basically Mephisto enabled Wanda to create the life that is Billy and Tommy. So while they are Wanda's children, they were manifested under the powers of Mephisto, which, you know, we all know in sorcery and paranormal stuff, comic books, ladies and gentlemen, that interlinks them to Mephisto in a spiritual way. Which is what makes them demon spawn. Matt right. holding me accountable for for my lack of big. No, it's all good. Comics. I have two Marvel encyclopedias here. I just look through them every now and again. There we go. I love that. And then my second line that uh, uh, adds to this theory that you know Mephisto could actually be Evan Peters in disguise. He's all in, guys. He's all he in. He says uh, when he's we talking to Wanda, talking about how great this neighborhood is. He goes, "Damn it! If Westview, New Jersey, isn't charming as hell." You been there before, buddy? <laughs> you been to you been to hell, Evan Peters? How how would you know to compare? Sure, Matt gives me that look where it's a phrase, Liam. It's what people say. It's it's not an actual comparing place X to you know the underworld. I didn't say however, a word, Liam. I didn't however, say a damn word. You're, you're however, <laughs> however, in this segment of lines that matter, yeah, 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 yeah. we 
further analyze lines beyond their surface level. And this could have been the most throwaway line that I am looking beyond the surface. <laughs> that isn't there. However, however, if I'm going with this theory that Peters is Mephisto and I, I, I'm trying to assemble evidence, I'm going to pick it out whenever I, I hear stuff that could, you know, support my theory and him saying charming as hell, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta put a tie there somehow. So those are my two Evan Peters potentially being Mephisto lines that matter. Why is he grilling her on everything? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, why is he like, he's not just playing a character to ease Wanda's mind or get her back focused on the mission, whatever it is. Like he is trying to make her uncomfortable. Like it's, it's so strange. Um, guys, I think that kind of wraps it up. Liam, unless you got another one. Worth uh, I, had, I, had, I had one that just kind of adds to Wanda being in control. Um, Herb says, is there something I can do for you, Wanda? Do you want something changed? Just further emphasizing that. Big, hey, I'm, like I'm, Agnes last week, uh, asking yeah. him if they want to take the scene again. Yeah, I'm just Herb saying once again, hey, I'm your puppet. It, it, we already know at this point, but, you know, just another tab to keep on, on Herb. Nice yeah. afro, by the way. Or no, flat top. He had a sick flat top this he, week. He was Frankenstein, flat top. Yeah. Hilarious. Um, Agnes was a witch, not a line, but I think a line that matters. Um, and the whole Agnes scene, um, I think it's a little tough because we have seen that scene in promotional trailers and we didn't really get anything new other than her kind of losing it at the end. Um, but you know, we kind of knew how that conversation was going to go going into it. Um, but my last line that matters is Tyler Hayward vision related. I'm sorry. I have one more. (laughs) You um, when Vision comes out of that thing, Hayward looks at him and just blatantly says, wow, he really does want to come out, doesn't he? You know what I mean? So at least in his head, there was question if Vision wanted to be in there or not. So the connection between Hayward and Vision even strengthened even farther. I don't know what it is. It's crazy. It's crazy. Guys, that has been Lines That Matter. Please be like Ryan H. Send in your hashtag Lines That Matter every single Friday, and we will do our best to get them on the show. Do not worry about spoilers. Me and Liam keep off our phones until we watch the episode. We are good comic nerds like that. So, Liam, final thoughts on this episode. What do you think we will be seeing in episode 7 of WandaVision? Uh, there was there was an exchange I had with Raul Jimenez on Twitter, and I, my I man, go back to it. Really. My man, he he was asking me about uh, how much runtime we still left with, and Matt that's Shackman a good question. Said, that's a good question. Yeah, Matt, Matt Shackman said that this series in total will last about six hours. Six, six, about six hours. Could okay. be a little more. Could be a little less. Sure, but let's sure, just sure. go with three hundred sixty minutes, as he put it. We have seen so far including credits, 215 minutes of runtime. Okay. That leaves 145 minutes left or an average of 48 minutes per episode. Maybe a little more for some episodes, maybe a little less. However, the longest episode we've seen so far has been 42, 41, 42 minutes. That means on average, the next three episodes are going to be six minutes longer than our longest episodes longest so far. far. It's a good, so going that's forward, a good thought. I, I didn't think about that. Going forward, I think that we've gone through uh, the sitcom heavy runtimes of you know more. 23 minutes of content, seven minutes of credits. I think we're now going into pushing 40 minutes, 45 minutes. I think the finale will be close to an hour. 
but I think this final third is really going to emphasize MCU over sitcom. We still got sitcom stuff left, obviously the modern family stuff, but seven, eight, and nine are going to be the real meat of this show. And I think they'll even operate kind of like a mini movie. And next week sure. could be our act one of our third act of the entire series. That is WandaVision. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said earlier, this episode six was kind of built to reestablish character dynamics, kind of reset the pieces on the board, you know, refamiliarize the audience with where everybody's at, what everybody's thinking and how they're interacting with each other. Next week, we are getting a couple answers for sure. This show has done a great job hitting us in the face with answers sooner than we expect. With three episodes left, like you said, I anticipate at least eight and nine being very cinematic, very uh, contained. You know, while the first six, seven episodes build to what happens in eight and nine, I think eight and nine is going to be a very big payoff only, you know, look, you know, look at what we've done with the show kind of performance. So in episode seven, we are going to get some answers for sure. One, we're going to see what Darcy's like in the hex. I think everybody's most excited about that. We are going to meet this aerospace engineer. You can't tease him three episodes in a row. Gotta get him in an episode seven. Hashtag Ahsoka. Um, and then also, I think we're gonna find out what the relationship between Hayward and Vision is on the real, on on the real, real, like 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 on the real, real, real. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you ca- I, I hear you catching it, dog. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. That's right. All right, guys. That has been our WandaVision episode seven. Re- episode six review next week wandavision episode seven we'll see you then ladies and gentlemen we have had the pleasure of sitting down with some amazing guests in recent weeks and this next one is no different this human being i am incredibly excited to talk to hailing from san francisco california he is the co-founder of Kind of Funny Games, the host of so many podcasts and shows that i do not have time to list them all and a member of the Forbes 30 Under 30 Hall of Fame. Best friends everywhere, stand up for the one, the only, Tim Geddes. You got to love the hype. What's, what type of uh, uh, intro Woo! is that? That's perfect. I want, I want you everywhere we go, Matt. Like, I need this. I need this energy in my life. 12.50 an hour, you got me, man. Hell I'm yeah. I can, we can make that work. <laughs> we can make it happen. Dude, I just want I want to get the energy going because that's what you bring to your audience every love single it. day. We're trying to love it. it. Tim, how we doing? We're doing real good, man. You know, here's the thing. You DM me uh, about a week ago. Not even. We moved. We moved fast on this, and I and I appreciate that. You hit me up. You're like, yo, you want to come talk MCU uh, with me and my boys? I'm like, yeah. There's nothing I want to do more than that in the world. I love the MCU. And recently, I, I had a revelation happen. And then I think that this tweet might have been the impetus of you reaching out to me. It exactly was. <laughs> yeah. So I, I tweeted after after a couple episodes of WandaVision where I was like, you know what? I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think the MCU has finally edged out Nintendo as being just my favorite thing. Yep. And like, not, not that wow. it needs to be a competition, not that it needs to be this like giant revelation, but like, I was just thinking about it and I was like, man, like the MCU has really, really, really done a lot for me in my life. Like I, I've, you know, it's, it's been there for such a long percentage of my life and has honestly only gotten better over time. And like to imagine that we are kind of living through the, at least current glory days of this thing yeah. is so, so fantastic. It's not going to be the most interesting thing for me to say, cause I'm sure you've heard it a million times, but like, you know, my mom and dad watched star Wars in theaters. They got to see return of the Jedi in the, all of them in theaters. And it's like, 
so I remember growing up and my dad showing me the VHS of Star Wars for the first time and just being so jealous, like, oh my God, I can't imagine being able to watch these together for the first time. And we had that with the MCU. We had that with, with you know, not, I mean, I remember sitting there watching Iron Man with my best friends and when Nick Fury comes out being like, oh my God. And I remember Nick believing we're never going to get an Avengers movie. That's too good to be true. Like it's yeah. a fun thing for them to tease, but we're not going to get it. And then it happened. And then it just kept going all the way to Infinity War and, of course, Endgame. And, like, man, we're lucky, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a good chance we look back on the last 12, 13 years of our lives as the golden age of the MCU. But you know what that means? we got the Silver Age coming up. we got Woo! the Bronze Age coming up. I mean, mm -hmm. it just keeps getting better. And, you know, so I want to talk to you a little bit, Tim, about kind of funny real quick. Mm -hmm. Throughout quarantine, I have become enamored with online communities. I'm a Barstool fan. We love our crew at comicbook.com, but it really feels like you and the boys at Kind of Funny have more fun than anybody talking about the shit y'all talk about. <laughs> no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. I almost prefer watching you guys rip a movie to shreds than see you, see, see you talk about something you guys like. So I was hoping you could just talk about the culture at Kind of Funny and how you guys seem to put an emphasis on just having a damn good time. Hey man, like the impetus, not impetus, I keep using that word, but uh, the word. inception, I know it is, it's pretty dope, uh, but the inception <laughs> of kind of funny and really like what we are is, you know, we, we, if you don't know, it's a couple of us, we all worked at IGN for, uh, for many years and we ended up splitting up to do our own thing. And as we were doing that, we were really questioning like, okay, but why are we doing this? Like, what is it that we want to be able to do? And we loved IGN and to this day still love IGN, but it was a lot more, you know, uh, kind of boxed into what how you needed to talk about something what you were doing and all that whereas we we're just like we just want to replicate the experience of going to a theater and the moment the movie ends sitting there or well, the moment the credits end of course for an mcu movie yeah. uh getting up walking out with your friends and having that like that moment of silence as you're walking through the the aisles till the doors open and it's light that it feels like okay what do you think yeah. And then you and your group of friends just kind of start going. There's always the one guy that has a wild devil's advocate opinion on it. But then there's everyone else that you agree with. You're theorizing what's going to happen next. Like, oh, my God, that, when they did this, that was crazy. Like, all of, did you see this? Oh, my God. Like, that energy is what we wanted to turn into a product, you know? And, like, our whole thing is we call the community best friends because we are best friends. And the way we see it is we are the four best friends at the table, but you are the fifth best friend listening. And you are just one of the same people just like us that went to see this movie and just want to talk about it. Just want to hear other people talk about it. Even if they're not saying anything interesting, it's just the, it's the excitement. It's the energy around it all. And earlier you were saying, even if we're ripping something apart, it's like, we definitely do not go out of our way to be positive. Do not go out of our way to be negative. It's kind of just, it's way more based on feeling and it's way more based on just like exactly where we're at because, because again, that's how best friends talk. There isn't this like sugar coating and there isn't this like, it's a lot of extremes, honestly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like, it turns into a lot of debates and a lot of fights. So I feel like a lot of the time we're talking about stuff. Uh, it's a bit hyperbolic, but that's how best friends communicate is, you know, with exaggeration. Yeah. And, you know, I actually, just, like two minutes before we hopped on here, I had one of my best friends ask me, so what's the deal with the Snyder Cut? And you know, like you said, feelings were yep. shared. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
you know, it's just, it's just such a great energy you guys have. And, you know, you nailed it right there. That energy after a movie walking mm-hmm. out of the theater, except for maybe after Infinity War, where me and my friends, it was dead silence for 20 minutes. Oh my God. Yeah. And then we started talking about it. So yeah, you encapsulated it right there. Yeah, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful thing. What's it up, is. Liam? I was going to say, uh, transitioning a little bit here. I, I recently watched the, uh, the wonder wonder woman, 1984 review. And oh my God, just the energy off the bat though. Like yeah. in the first minute, like, you know, it's most reviews you build and you build, okay, now we're going to get into the big stuff right off the bat that as a viewer, uh, definitely hooked me. And we do talk about, you know, the wild cinematic universes on this show, Marvel's DC star Wars, all that. But over on our website, thedirect.com, we also have branches dedicated to PlayStation and Xbox news. And we mentioned at the top, you mentioned at the top, how big of a Nintendo fan you are and how much you love video games. And when we reached out to our video game writers, it's safe to say that they were through the roof excited when (laughs) they heard we were talking to Tim Getty. So after much thought of what to ask you, they want to know what video game do you want to see get the next big screen adaptation? Oh, I mean, okay, look, this is such a crazy answer that it'll never actually happen. But I think it's a very fitting answer for us being on this show talking about cinematic universes. So it wouldn't be the first movie I'd want to see, but it is the one that I want to see built up to. And that's Super Smash Brothers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine getting a Nintendo cinematic universe where it starts slowly building out where we got the Pokemon? You know, we got Detective Pikachu. That's all happening over here. You know, let's get some Mario movies better than the 90s Mario movie. You know, let's get a Zelda movie. Let's get some Metroid. Let's just Star Fox. Let's start building it out little by little. And then all of a sudden, boom, the Avengers version, which is Super Smash Brothers. Woo, I just got chills. Let's go. That's that's a pretty cool pitch. So who's your who's your Samus? Oh, I mean, it's Brie Larson. It's gotta Honestly, be Brie, right? It's gotta yeah. be Brie. Like that's just, that is like the the John Krasinski, uh, Mister Fantastic casting, where it's like if it doesn't happen, it's gonna be a bummer. Yep, yep. That I had to ask that as soon as you said Smash, I knew that was coming. So, mm-hmm. Tim, before we get into the fun stuff, we got to talk about in review. This is the podcast. This is the show that got me hooked on kind of funny. I first started listening heading into Infinity War, where you guys rewatched the eighteen leading up to Infinity War, and then which was great. And then obviously you had to pivot to more reviewing the next five. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to ask as a fan, what do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy looking back and rewatching movies and then reviewing them with a fresh critical eye? Or do you enjoy jumping into the pit right after first watch and talking about what you just saw? You know, that's a really good question, actually. So, Thank so you. yeah, back in a <laughs> back <laughs> leading into Infinity War, uh, our, our friend Jack Patillo from uh, Rooster Teeth, Achievement Hunter, uh, he came out to to hang out with us. And actually, no, I think it was unfortunately uh, he came out to watch Justice League with us in theaters. Tough. And um, while he was doing that, he was like, "Hey, starting next January, it, if you watch an MCU movie every week, it'll perfectly lead into Infinity War." And I, I was like oh my God, that's a show. And at that point, it had been long enough. I mean, we must be talking about what, 2017, which was like probably the best MCU year. I don't know. That's that's rough because like there's been a lot of really good years. But like you think about it, we got Doctor Strange, we got Ragnarok, and we got uh, Homecoming. And Guardians 2. And and Guardians 2. It's like- For the best. 
Did I miss well, something Strange, up there? Strange was 2016, I believe. Twi- yeah, okay, cool, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, replace Strange with Guardians 2, then that, honestly, that might so be the good. best year we've had, right? Yeah. So good, so good. Um, but I remember, uh, you know, coming right off of those, being like, man, it's been a long time since I've watched some of the, the older ones. Uh, and then with that, um, my fiance Gia, had never seen any of them. So go. I was like, well, this is the perfect the perfect way uh, for you to get. Actually, she she had seen Guardians 1, and she did not like it. Like not even, it's not even that she didn't love it. She didn't even like it. And I was like, what? Like, how is that possible? I don't understand. And uh, she also had seen Ant-Man in theaters with me. And she was just like, yeah, it was fine. And I was just like, oh my God, like those are the two probably most, like I would say easy to just get into if you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. But what we learned with her watching the MCU from the very beginning, being somebody that is so out of the superhero world that when we first watched Batman Begins and Batman's parents got shot, she gasped and had no idea that Batman's parents died. Like that's the level of uh, experience she has with superheroes. And what we learned pretty early on, um, I would say probably like before Avengers, so but, but in phase one, so probably around Iron Man 2, she realized that there's a language to superheroes and superhero movies that once you kind of understand, okay, there's origin stories, there's team-ups, there's, you know, this, there's that, whatever, it starts to feel different. And all of a sudden she was like super in. Then by the time we got to Guardians, she saw it the way we all saw it, which was like, oh, this is a breath of fresh air. This is very, this is something special and different. And she loved it. It's one of her favorites now. And same thing with Ant-Man. And it's like, that's the power of the MCU kind of building on itself. And so when we did in review, it was so great to be able to have the nostalgia and go back, um, realize that some things that we thought we were wrong about, like, I feel like some of the movies that we really hated on are like honestly they're not that bad like mm-hmm. the worst the mcu gets incredible hulk thor 2 like those even those again nowhere near as good as some of the best movies but like right. they're pretty good overall dcu rankings they're high up you know that's what I, mean? My, I mean but that's the thing so so as we went through sorry this is a very long-winded way no, to, to get to, to answer your question which is you know as we were doing it uh we had to slide black panther in kind of randomly because it came out in february and uh we you know we're still kind of like doing our rankings and that was the first time we reviewed a movie that we hadn't already seen before and that was like fresh and it's a very different type of conversation and i do enjoy that a lot but if it was up to me, I, I think that when we are ranking and reviewing older things, it's a lot more fair and easy mm-hmm. to actually compare them for without the hype of the moment, uh, with the context of what happens after. There's like a lot of, of things that go into it that uh, you need to look at. I think Age of Ultron is probably yep. the, the best example of that, which is a movie that going into it, I think all of us were like, ooh, it really wasn't that good. Uh, and then you see the ramifications of what Age of Ultron kind of brought to the universe. And you're like, wow, that was actually good. Like, yeah. what the hell? And like, that's, it's cool that the MCU can make things better after the fact. It's so frequently too, man. Like retroactive greatness in the MCU is so nuts. Like, you know, you look at what's happening right now with WandaVision, like Age mm-hmm. of Ultron, not only set that up, looking back, set it up really well. So Age of Ultron, I... I always tout as the most underrated movie in the MCU. So thrilled. Yeah, to hear I mean, that. Um, 
So in review, you guys don't just talk on Marvel, Star Wars, DC. You guys have done Fast and Furious in review, Karate Kid in review. You guys are doing Edgar Wright, um, Harry Potter in review even. So me, I was hoping you'd be down to hear me and Liam pitch a couple ideas for the next in review series, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to start it off, Liam, if you don't mind. This is okay. the one, I think it's the clear and obvious one, the one that fans want to see, the one that everybody wants. Air Bud in review. Air Bud in <laughs> review. Man. Let's get those buddies. Let's see what they're up to. I just think it has to happen. Every week, you guys like wear the jersey of your favorite athlete from that sport. So I love that's, it. That's an obvious one, obviously. That's my first pitch. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. So it's yeah. a good one. I will say, like, like the I want to I want to hear all the pitches, but real quick, just to talk about in review for a sec. Like we did MCU, and it was that beautiful, brilliant thing of like, well, this is perfectly landing into Infinity War, and that's it. But we had so much fun doing the show, and it did so well that we're like, we can't stop this. Yeah. So we followed it up with X Men, and then Spider Man, and then we just kind of kept going. And like, we're at a point now we're doing two franchises a week, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun because it allows us to get a little bit more weird and you know we did like kevin smith in review uh <laughs> which we never would have done back in the day and it, there's just kind of an understanding of like especially now that we do two i try to schedule it so that there's one that's a bit more mainstream and one that's a bit more okay this is something that we just want to do mm-hmm. uh so while i doubt we'll ever actually do Airbud, who knows anything's on the table yeah listen nothing's off the table all right <laughs> Airbud's Air where it's at people are sleeping oh, on Air oh Bud. yeah oh that's so true <laughs> I mean, when you talk about when you talk about teeing up into a release, I guess my first pitch makes perfect sense. Uh, tackle the GCU, the Godzilla Cinematic Universe. Well, uh, you got the 2014 Godzilla, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and Kong Skull Island. I think it's mm-hmm. a fun one. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy to tell you right now, we are actually doing that, Let's leading go. into Godzilla Ooh. King of the Monsters. So Let's yeah, go. it's uh, that's gonna start uh, in a, in a couple weeks. But yeah, you know, with HBO Max kind of announcing all of their. Uh, you know, the, the movies come in day and date to, to digital. Like a, a lot of my interview scheduling has been based around that kind of looking at it being like, okay, Space Jam, you know, Godzilla, like yeah. obviously Suicide Squad and DCEU and, uh, and all of that. So yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty excited for that. And I'm, I'm sure you get the tone here. None of these are serious, but I think it'd be fun. Naked Gun in review? Naked Gun. Like, Again, man, that's the thing. Who knows? Can we get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the show? crazier things have happened man so you know i I love i love the i love where you where you guys are starting at you know what i mean let's let's start high and we can only go higher about expectations if you ask for naked gun in review you end up getting godzilla in review so that's pretty exciting stuff yeah yeah yeah. wait so earlier you guys brought up uh comicbook.com like do, do you guys work with them We've had uh, two of their uh, guys on the podcast. We had BD on, and then we had Jim Biscardi on. And then in a week or so, we're hoping to have Chris Gillian on. Awesome, man. That's awesome. I I started following Brandon uh, like – a couple months ago and like he's been such a great follow i love yeah. like he lives and breathes this shit man like you earlier you're talking about like oh kind of funny you guys have more fun than everyone else and i'm like i don't know man brand's having a lot of fun over there that's <laughs> exactly. a, it's pretty cool he's living the world that we all want to live right everybody <laughs> he gets to meet everybody it's good stuff um all right man so i was hoping you can join us to build one of our famous direct list you down mm-hmm. let's do it let's do it Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another edition of The Direct List, where we are about to do what the internet does best and build a list of things from the universes you love. And today we are joined by a movie universe review expert, kind of funny zone, Tim Geddes. Tim, thanks for coming on. 
Thank you very much for having me. Cannot wait to talk about this this topic because it's very near and dear to my heart. It's the best topic that there is. Now, today's list is a special one, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be creating a collective top list of Marvel Cinematic Universe payoffs. These are moments in the MCU that were teased, seeds that were planted, and lines that were spoken that paid off down the line. Patience, planning, execution. These are the things that separates the MCU from all other movie universes and this will be an ode to those three qualities there's a very high chance boys that this ends up just us being talking how great infinity war and endgame are and i'm here for it it tends to happen it tends to happen you know (laughs) here for it as hell so let's uh you know tim me and liam we Mm -hmm. like to consider ourselves gentlemen you know men that you know have high standards and have have high qualities we're going to give you the first pick this is a collective list we're a team here okay oh yeah and for the fans listening this is a special edition of Direct List because there's so many. We're going top nine. Three We're going top nine, man. Why do six when you can do nine? That's that's, that's the, the mentality nice. I like to have. Yeah, exactly. Why so, do six when you can do nine? How about so, that? So here's, here's the thing with this, man. You just said it, but it's just like, what is the real answer? It's Endgame. Endgame is the payoff, blah, blah, blah. We know, we know, we know. But I was thinking about this, and I was like, I want to think of some ones that, that are, aren't as top level, aren't as obvious. And not, I'm not going to say – like the obvious ones aren't good because my God, of course they are. And I'm sure we'll talk about all of them, but I want to start this one off by saying Jarvis turning in to vision. Like the setup of having Paul Bettany be the voice of Jarvis, the voice in Iron Man's head from movie one. And to have that kind of just be there and him be this character. And then of course, vision's not purely Jarvis, but part of Jarvis is in there and mm-hmm. it's Paul Bettany himself. That to me was one of the the more subtle, even though it, you know, it's, it's very out there and then, you know, it's not like an Easter egg, but like, I think that relative to some of the other ones we might be talking about, that was something that I was like, this is pretty damn brilliant. And I know that it has its origins in the comics, but it definitely wasn't something that I was expecting from uh, vision's origin in the MCU. And I think it was a really good choice. And a, a really cool thing it does, you know, right now, actively, Paul Bettany is the most veteran cast member in the MCU because of that fact. Like that's true. To think of Vision, a character that was so uniquely created in Age of Ultron, you know, it wasn't Hank Pym, it was Tony and Bruce, perfect. It wasn't, you know, just like a magic gym that powered him that was built from the sun. It was an infinity stone. Like, all those things that were so unique and it happened in Phase 2, he's the most veteran cast member. I love that pick. Wasn't even on my list. Well done, Tim Geddes. Liam, hit it. So I know, Tim, you kind of set up going with the uh, the non-obvious selections, but I kind of want to get my obvious one out of the way sure. first. Uh, and I'm going to go with Cap lifting the hammer. Um, I know that this is so much of a, a moment that everyone has on their list, but you can't have a top nine payoffs without this moment on that list. Um, even though we never really thought it was going to happen, it was teased in Matt's favorite movie, Age of Ultron. You know, he does <laughs> nudge it just a little bit. You hear a squeak yeah. enough to make Thor in the in the background uh, make a bit of a concerned look on his face. And then, you know, he eventually gets the hammer in uh, Endgame. Everyone theorizes, well, how could it happen if it couldn't happen in Age of Ultron? You get the two different sides of, oh, Cap was playing coy in Age of Ultron. He could have, but he didn't to respect Thor's, you know, uh, confidence and all that. Or it's that he kept the secret of Tony's parents at that moment. And once Tony found out, he was completely free from any non-worthiness that was holding him back. But the fact that they set it up there, that, that he can get at least a little bit 
of a nudge on the hammer. And then he gets it in Endgame. It was really cool. And it was one of those moments you never thought was going to happen because after all in Ragnarok, the hammer gets destroyed. How are they, how are they going to uh, make this moment pay off? And they did. And it was seamless. And the best part too, uh, with a lot of these moments on, on my pool of, of biggest payoffs, I wasn't expecting it. When, when Thor gets the hammer back in that, uh, that scene in Asgard from 2013 in Endgame, it felt like, oh, he just wanted to prove that he's still worthy. They're not actually going to use this for anything else, right? And then you hear that, you hear that callback music to Cap, mm-hmm. First Avenger, gets the hammer back. Theater exploded. I shouted, oh my fucking God. And I'm not one to like shout during a movie theater uh, experience. I want to respect everyone else's um, silence and all that, but how could you not? It was an epic moment and uh, it's got to be my, my favorite payoff in the MCU. Something, something tells me that uh, this is going to happen a lot during this conversation, but I just got chills. You know, you just even talking about that experience. It's such a, a shared thing that we all kind of have. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. Like it, it's a perfect example of a perfect payoff because not only was there the moment itself, but there was everything going into it that it made sense story-wise. It wasn't like a rushed thing of like, oh man, we have to get Mjolnir back. How are we going to do this? It all added to Thor's character development and it added to that moment being even more amazing because if there's one thing the MCU uh, lacks and, and it's getting better at it, it, it is identifiable themes and scores uh, from, from, the, from the music side. And Cap is one of the rare exceptions to that role and his music playing at that point, uh, it, it was so validating and, and it was just necessary, especially for the movie being kind of the end of Captain America. And I love it because you said that you didn't expect it. And, you know, all of us, I imagine some form of comic reader, like we knew that he he has held it. We knew that that was a possible thing, but I did not expect to see it in Endgame. And uh, again, I, I talked about my fiance watching MCU for the first time when we watched Endgame together. When Cap got Mjolnir, she marked out more than I did. <laughs> like yeah. she was just like, oh my God, because the MCU did such a good job setting up the rules of this stupid hammer. Like when you really think about it, it's like, the, the movie set up a world where they're like, there's a hammer that only Thor can pick up because he is worthy. And, and 20 movies later, we're all like, yeah. And now Captain, we're losing <laughs> our minds. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I just got chills. You talking about how you got chills about Liam. So this is officially my us. favorite list. My favorite list. Um, so I, I started getting this list together, guys. And this is the Steve Rogers list in a lot of ways, right? Like Steve mm-hmm. has so many, like the best character arc in any movie universe ever. Like, like I love Luke Skywalker with all my heart and soul. Steve Rogers has the best character arc there is. And my first pick will be Steve Rogers related as well. Liam probably already knows what it is. It's the last dance. It's the dance at the end oh. of the end game. Oh, Steve I was even thinking Peggy, about it. Steve and Peggy got their dance. It's the first bit from the first Captain America movie. You know, oh, you never danced with a girl? Nah, never found the right one. Well, guess what? 23 movies later, here we are. Um, it's been a long, long time plays. I, I wrote an article for the direct a short time ago, and it was the best music moments in the MCU. And people gave me shit for it. That's my number one. It's been a long, long time because oh, that moment is just that's what Steve's always wanted. You look at the end of every single movie Captain America's in Steve's at the bottom. He misses date with Peggy. He drops his shield and, you know, Bucky just beat the hell out of him and he's waking up in a hospital. He is sad, but he's, you know, he's at work at the soldiers at the end of Age of Ultron. And Infinity War, obviously, we're all in the dumps. And finally, 
at the last movie of the Infinity Saga besides Far From Home. Steve gets what he wants. He finally gets his dance. That's my favorite payoff in the MCU. You talk about marking out in a movie. I'm like audibly crying at that scene when I'm watching it in Endgame. That's oh my God. No, I, I, you're so right. And I think the big thing there too is, again, I was saying that music in the MCU is getting better. And I think this is a great example of it because that song first showing up in Winter Soldier, yeah. uh, like that is a, in itself, it adds where I love that the payoffs we're talking about. It's never just one thing. It's always like many elements that make the payoff moment that much more worth it. Oh, I love this. So yeah. yeah. Tim, your second yes. pick, man. So my second pick, I wanted to do one from Endgame that is not the stuff that you'd expect. That it, to me, is actually not a payoff as much as it is a setup to what we're getting in a payoff. That I'm just predicting is, is the announcement alone is the payoff for me, but I imagine that it's going to pay off and be be worth it being on this list. And that is 2012 Loki grabbing the, the Space Stone. And getting the hell out of there. Yeah. When, you know, uh, Liam, a second ago, you were talking about watching Endgame and not expecting Mueller to be in it at all, because why would you? That's such a weird thing, but they made it work totally. And watching Endgame, there were so many things that we expected. There's so many things that we knew were going to happen or thought might happen. Loki grabbing the stone and getting the hell out of there was not one of them. And there are so many moments that uh, the audience gasped watching Endgame. That was a moment that I almost were like, oh, like the Avengers are fucked now. But then when the movie ends, you're thinking like, wait, Loki's still out there somewhere. And now they're making a show about show, it. Yeah. Like that to me is an amazing payoff to a moment that I thought think was beautifully set up because it, it kept all of us on the edge of our seats in a movie that we were already like freaking out about every single moment. There was one surprise moment that no one could have called. Exactly. And the, the payoff is Loki and the Tesseract, right? Like mm-hmm. the t- tales old as time. Yep. Great pick again. Not even on my list. How the hell are you doing this, man? I t- I watch this stuff just as much as you do, and you picked two <laughs> things that weren't even on my list. It's wild. <laughs> Liam, hit it. All right, I'm gonna go with a very big one. A lot of moving pieces to this one, and that's the Infinity Stones as a whole. Oh yeah. When you Good pitch call. this concept, you know that we're gonna do an Infinity Gauntlet storyline with Thanos, and in order for it to really pay off, we have to have these six magic rocks and have the audience care about each individual one, know where each individual one is located, and then on top of that, know the destruction that a singular one can cause, let alone all six together. The fact that they started planting these seeds way back in phase one, I believe the first on-screen one is the Tesseract and Cap, uh, Mm -hmm. the first Avenger. Then the Tesseract has its own journey, and that's like, you know, the second stone Thanos gets, and he just crushes it immediately, and it shows... How, how much he means business because he's able to crush this cube that so many big bads have gone after and have sought after and have become obsessed with. Um, and then beyond that, the ether getting set up in Thor the Dark World, that end credit scene with the collector saying it's not wise to keep two infinity stones so close together. Mm-hmm. And then you understand why much later on. Um, I'm trying to rack my brain for where each one is. Obviously, the time stone with Doctor Strange in 2016's Doctor Strange. It is Loki's scepter and uh, yeah, Avengers. Lo- Loki's scepter creates, you know, what we know today as Wanda and Pietro Maximoff creates what we know today as the vision, each individual stone having such a huge impact on the Marvel Cinematic Universe with where they branch off into, and then coming together in that gauntlet for the biggest, you know, movie of all time, not, you know, Infinity War made a lot of money, but Endgame broke all the records. There, there's 
so much patience and planning that goes into a story like that. It's literally a story that you have to set up and, and cultivate over 10 years and they somehow did it. And I know uh, we're all diehard fans here and it's easy to keep track, but even my friends who are mostly casual fans are, are understanding, oh, we're back in Asgard in 2013 and Endgame because that's where the ether came into play. Oh, okay, we're on. Uh, remind me of the planet where they get Vormir. the power stone from. Not Vormir. Uh, Morag. Vormir's soul stone. Morag. Morag. Morag, Morag. Yeah. Morag. You know, we're God, back we're there fucking because... nerds. I love it. <laughs> that's where we get the power stone. It's, Make it's nerds fascinating. cool again. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Right? It's fascinating to see everything coming kind of into play like that. And uh, even though that payoff is, you know, we'd like to think it, it's over. We never truly know with the Infinity Stones they could always be coming back in future movies. I feel like it, it's the payoff that just keeps paying off. Yeah, absolutely. It's good stuff. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get number six. We're over halfway through this thing, guys. Look at us. Um, my, I think this is going to be our first Infinity, uh, Infinity War pick. It's our second Loki pick, though. No, might be true, but we have a Hulk. Mm. We, we have a Hulk, guys. Yep. Easily, mm-hmm. easily, one of the most hyped lines from the original Avengers in 2012. Couldn't, couldn't even be explained how exciting that we have a Hulk line is. You know, when Tony just running TV spot, every running through the team, just running through the team. Oh yeah, we have a Hulk. You're done. Stop talking. For Loki of all people, Loki yep. of Asgard to bring that up at the end. The it's, one that got smashed back and forth. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's so poetic and funny. Like, like that's a funny line when Loki says it, but then the intensity just picks up right away and the Hulk comes ramming in. Of course, he gets his ass kicked, but still, we have a Hulk. I just, I got, it's the first like five, 10 minutes of that movie and chills up your spine immediately. And that, it's got to be on the list. We have a Hulk. Man, oh, Infinity War. So what good. a damn movie. What so a good. damn movie, man. Woo. What a flick, oh. what a and, flick and that is. You're so right about Loki. It's like, God, they made these characters so well. Like, so, and, and, and we're, I love that we're now we're seeing like even characters that weren't done that well, like Wanda, get a chance to now be done well. And in, in, again, like we were talking about earlier, retroactively enhancing what we thought of moments that maybe were a little lesser than before. But now we look at it and it's like, oh, you are like, so many people I know were complaining, uh, and myself included, about Wanda and Vision's relationship in the movies being, at best, lightly teased. And then Infinity War has them together. And, like, I would say more people than not were kind of like, uh, that came out of nowhere. The awesomeness you know? of it. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, we know. We know they're together. So it's like we can kind of put these, like, to it, whereas – Again, I, I'm sorry to keep referring to it, but I'm going to. My fiance is like, where does this come from? I'm like, well, in Civil War, we did see them kind of hanging out together. And she's just like, all right, I guess, you know. Catch, but yeah. but now with WandaVision, it's like, oh, my God. Like, yes, they're together. That totally makes sense. And, you know, no spoilers for WandaVision, wherever the hell we're at with it. It's just more like, <laughs> yeah. at the very least, it's enhancing the moment so that when we rewatch uh, Infinity War, that moment's going to mean more, you know? Um, and Loki, I think, is the ultimate version of that. Like going from bad guy to worst guy to good guy to best guy. Like, it's it's pretty <laughs> awesome. And then yeah. to now, like, I was just talking about, you know, the there's the other Loki. And I, we're going to go through that uh, transition again in a different way. Oh, so cool. Awesome. Good stuff. Tim, your last pick. Make it count. Ah, see – 
See, oh man, it, it's hard because there's so many that like I I want to to make sure that like the moments get get called out, but. One that I think is endlessly fascinating, uh, and it's similar to what Liam was saying about like it's a little nebulous because it's he was saying just the stones in their story in general. I'm gonna say Hydra in general because uh, the biggest thing for me is Hydra in in Winter Soldier when the reveal happens that and uh you know all that and it goes to shit and then all of a sudden Shield is gone. Like I remember leaving the theater being like, whoa, like. This is such a, because we obviously, the snap changed the MCU forever. Winter Soldier changed the MCU forever in such a major way Mm -hmm. so long before any of that stuff happening. And like that setting all that we know of Civil War and everything on in place to happen. But Hydra was set up in Captain America 1. And essentially it's like, cool, they're they're the bad, they're Nazis, they're, they're horrible, whatever. And then it's like, wait a minute. They're infiltrating and they've been part of S.H.I.E.L.D. this entire time. S.H.I.E.L.D., this thing that we trust and know and love and, you know, has been kind of like the keepers of the Avengers. The, the They are the only good government power we know and they're not yeah. good. Yeah. And for that to all kind of be what it was to have the elevator fight and then in Endgame to have an elevator fight where all it – elevator fight, I call it. All it took yeah. – was Cap saying Hail Hydra and everyone in the audience knew exactly what that meant to me. Like that is an unbelievable payoff moment that is too good to be true. Like, you know, so often we watch things and we're like, well, it could have been cooler if they did this, or it could have been cooler if they did that. Or why didn't they blah, blah, blah. That was one of those moments where like, only Marcus and McFeely could have wrote that. Oh, like that, that took some galaxy brain level. Like, yo, it, we're going to tease the fight, but we're not even going to, it's not going to be the fight. It's going to be even better. Right. And it was. Yeah. And, and, you know, like Liam was saying about the infinity stones kind of establishing themselves as the MCU goober, as the MCU MacGuffin moving forward, you know, shield in phase one and halfway through phase two, it established itself that way too. It's a part of every single movie shield yep. is. And, you know, by the time phase two comes around, shield is an element. Like you were saying, Tim, it's always multiple elements coming together and forming at once. And, you know, you mentioned Marcus and Mephili and, you know, Feige the Russos, uh, Alvin Silvestri, they get a ton of cred. I don't think we give enough shine to Marcus and McFeely because absolutely they, they, they write the best and they brought everything together so well on, on the page. Obviously the Russos had their hand in making it come to life visually. Silvestri is just a genius in the emotional moment. And then, you know, Foggy's obviously the puppet master, but Marcus and McFeely do not get enough credit for the subtlety they put into these massive giant popcorn movies. I mean, it's the only thing that makes them work, honestly. Yeah. Like, that, that it's, it, it's, it's the moments, the character moments between Doctor Strange and Tony Stark that make Infinity War at all work. Like, Infinity War should have been a mess. Endgame should have been a bigger mm-hmm. mess, and they weren't. Mm-hmm. They, there's yeah. issues we can point out. There are certain things. Like, something that I, like, I will, I'm sorry to go off on a tangent here, but yeah, Endgame to me things. is so damn great. And I, time travel obviously gets messy real fast, right? And it's always something that you can pick apart and like kind of like try to question the logic or whatever. And I thought that Endgame did such a great job of setting up the rules of how their time travel works with the flow of time and with uh, um, uh, Tilda Swinton kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. show, explaining it to Hulk and all that stuff. It was so great. But then the old cap thing, 
like, and I I'll give them the, the, the option and the chance to like prove me wrong in a future project that makes me like see this differently. But it's just like, there's no way that timeline makes sense because yeah. old cap shouldn't exist in this world. If, uh, yeah, you're right. If, if time travel works the way that you're saying it does. And that was kind of a bummer. It got us to some epic shit. So I'll kind of like forgive it. But it like, I, I do think it's a little bit of a bummer that like, it could have been tightened up just a little bit more. You say that though, but like we've talked about this entire list, the payoff list, right? Yep. We go out of that moment thinking, ah, well, how does that make sense? We don't say, ah, that doesn't make sense. That sucks. We say, ah, that doesn't make sense. I wonder how they'll make it make sense in the future. Totally. Like totally. the, the ultimate it, screwdriver that Kevin mm-hmm. Feige is to tighten things up. It's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. so good. So good. All right, Liam, I believe this is you at number eight. Yeah, this is my uh, this is my final pick. So this is one where I'm going to go with my kind of fan favorite one. And you mentioned, you know, Winter Soldier, how it, it's able to pay off this political parasite thing, and it's all set up, and and Shield has been intertwined the whole time. And how integral is that to Cap's character, by the way? You know, the obedient Boy Scout who will go and lie about his age and his weight and his name just to serve. And now here he is, seventy years later, and, and he can't trust anybody. It's it's a fascinating. Uh, 180 to his character and probably my favorite little uh, nook in his entire arc. But my, my moment is also a moment that was set up in Winter Soldier very subtly. Uh, when you go back and watch this movie, knowing how stuff plays out, as we like to, as we like to say, uh, it's much more appreciated. And it's a line that Natasha Romanoff tells Steve Rogers. And she says, be careful, Steve, you might not want to pull on that thread. And that thread is Bucky's file and learning about Bucky's past. And oh, what happened on December 16th, 1981? Yep. The Starks were murdered. And we all thought it was a car crash. It said it on the newspaper clipping in that bunker at Fort Lehigh. And no, it wasn't. It was a staged car crash perpetrated, perpetrated by the Winter Soldier himself. That line, going back, I'm like getting chills just thinking about yeah. it because it shows that there was a layer to it. And it wasn't just, uh, oh, the Winter Soldier is mysterious and you might get hurt if you go down. You might get hurt physically, but even worse emotionally because your best friend, the person, the only one you could trust in your former life has been a secret assassin for the past seven decades and he killed your co-worker's parents. An event that traumatized him and set him on the path he is now and you have to bear that secret. Um, And you know, Who's to say if he would have told him or not, but then he's forced to confront him when Tony finds out in Civil War. Did you know? I don't care. He killed my mom. The emotional weight to that, knowing that Cap, you know, was kind of stubborn in the moment. He wanted to pull on that thread and Natasha did tell him. She said, you might not like what you find. And what he found was Captain America's Civil War. And I mean, I'm kind of glad he found it because it was a kick-ass movie. But hell yeah, yeah, that that line, uh, it's subtle, but it, it had a big payoff. I gotta, I gotta add one more wrinkle to that payoff specifically, and you know, I gotta bring up Age of Ultron one more time. Right? <laughs> Another line of dialogue that even adds to that layer of what Civil War is, which is the fundamental differences between Cap and Tony. They, they have that scene at the farmhouse, which you know, the farmhouse, you know, is a, is a, you know, disparaged, you know, moment in Age of Ultron. People thought that's where the movie slowed down, but you look at the dialogue there. You look at the yep. the log splitting scene. Tony says, "I don't like a guy with a without a dark side." Cap says, ah, "Maybe you just haven't seen it yet." I wonder what he was talking about there. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe he knows a little something there with Tony. So, uh, you know, Bucky murders the Starks. What a great pick. I mean, what a what a deep rooted pick. So totally. Um, so I think I got to round this out. Number nine. And, you know, we're going to end off big. You know, this one, isn't, 
This one isn't meta. This one isn't like deep rooted and has all these intricacies. It's on your left. It's just the right answer. Yeah, it's on your left. You fucking go, dude. On your left is the most chill-inducing line of dialogue I've ever seen in a movie. Like, like you know, Winter Soldier, like you both have said, is such a integral movie. Not only in the main storyline of the MCU, but just also the tone moving forward you know we're going to do a spy movie that is about superheroes and then every movie after that is a genre movie about superheroes to take a line like on your left which was funny at the beginning and then at the very end of winter soldier it's just so emotional and heartfelt to have sam bring that back with with the battle against thanos army cap can do this all day and he was about to and then you just hear it and then everybody just yep yep I mean, I, I got it on a poster behind me that I haven't hung up yet because I'm lazy. And it's just, it's easily my favorite line in the MCU every single time it's spoken. I mean, dude, you're you're so right. And like, is it cheating to just say that moment number one in this is from on your left till the moment we, till the moment we see <laughs> Iron Man's uh, helmet close and the, the actual credits start to go. Cause like, honestly, that's the answer. How did we just go however long we did and not even say Avengers assemble? Like, yeah. and, and, and the honesty is because you're right. The real moment isn't that the real moment is on your left. Like we all question how the fuck are they going to come back? What's that going to look like? And man, it was the best answer. Like using the portals, having the, everybody coming from all the different places and getting everyone there at once for this amazing war to then see them all use their powers and team up in the ways we wanted them to. Uh, and like, even just like little things like the, the giant space worms of the Chitari that we see cause so much trouble in Avengers one to have them being taken down by Valkyrie on, on its side uh, mm-hmm. or by giant man, just punching it. It's like so rewarding to us where it's just like, Oh my God, these characters have grown and we have seen them so much seeing pepper in a suit. Sure. Was it an earned moment? Absolutely not. But was it hype as hell? Yeah. Yeah, it totally was. And, you know, going through all of that, but then to, to have um, the, the moments, like all the different lines of dialogue, but Peter Parker meeting Captain Marvel, like all of that, we get the death, you know, we get Tony doing the snap saying, I am Iron Man. Like if that isn't a setup payoff, like I don't know what is, but then the whole funeral, like I know I'm cheating right now, but really it just, it is the answer to to what is the most. Yeah. yeah. You said it it at the beginning of the list, the real answer is in game. And you're right. I think it starts with on your left. Yeah. Yeah. And from on your left on, because I I also want to give a shout out because then it goes back to your, one of your first ones of the, the dance, right? Yeah. Like, oh. but also old man cat being there and having that moment with Sam and, and, and Bucky, but Sam specifically like what that's a payoff too. And then, then we get uh, the dance, but like the, the end credit scene or like, sorry, not end credits, just the credits yeah. of Endgame. I don't think get it talked about enough for how no. epic they are. We got a amazing montage of everyone that was ever in the MCU and it just grows and allows us to sit in and just really take in what we just experienced over the last 10 plus years. And then to have it end with the core Avengers, the Avengers theme plays, we see their signatures across the screen. It's like, holy Shit. What an accomplishment, man. Oh, it's so good. Dude, Tim Gettys just made me tear up. How about that? 
How about that? And guys, that is our top nine list of MCU payoffs. Number one, Jarvis turning into the vision. Number two, Cap lifts the hammer in Avengers Endgame. Number three, Steve finally gets his dance with Peggy. Number four, Loki escaping in Endgame with the Tesseract, a tale as old as time. Number five, just the journey of the Infinity Stones throughout the MCU. Number six, we have a Hulk. Number seven, the invasion of Hydra and how they set that up through the first two phases. Number eight, Bucky murders the Starks. And number nine, on your left. And, you know, I'm going to cheat one more time just real quick at the newest payoff we have in the MCU. Number 10, honorable mention, Jimmy Woo. Magic trick, baby. Let's go. Back to episode so good. Four. Dude. Jimmy Woo learns the magic trick. Yeah, I, I love that. Another honorable mention I want to make is yeah. uh, just Happy Hogan's character as a whole, kind of just being there the entire time. And specifically, though, the payoff moment being Peter Parker uh, making his suit and, and Happy yeah. just looking at him like so damn proud. Like that, that is just is so great. And, and I think we're touching on something really key here, which is we are hitting a point with the MCU that characters like, uh, like Wu and Darcy and Happy Hogan are are all able to be part of these payoff moments because we care about them just as much as we care about the, 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 the title characters, you know, yeah. like that's the power of the MCU is like every single side character means something and only means more, the more that they show up. So I hope that that continues for a very, very long time. And guys, that has been mine, Liam, and Tim Getty's epilogue of the MCU. I mean, that was a beautiful 30 minutes we just spent. Tim, thank you so much for thank hopping on Thank you guys for having us. us, having me, man. Dude, absolutely. And, you know, you are welcome back anytime. Any of the boys want to hop on, I will give them just as appropriate of an intro. Love and- it. Um, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, man. This comic book community has grown stronger in 2020. And in 2021, we all finally get rewarded. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you so much to Tim Geddes for joining us for a stellar list. One of the hardest ones for me personally to cut a lot of great moments, but I still think we assembled something special there. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Tim. That's an episode, Matt. Episode 20. Hey! We'll we'll see we'll see how long this one turned out. You know, you got to go into post production and yeah, but we, we we hopefully kept it <laughs> contained enough. But uh, I love talking Wandavision. I love speculating where we're going forward, and I think we're gonna get some answers next week and in the following weeks. But we talked a lot of comic book movies on this show, Matt. We always talk a lot of comic book movies on this show, but we also have interests outside of the worlds of the fantastical. So, Matt, what is your weekly recommendation? For the people this week. My weekly recommendation, ladies and gentlemen, is to go back and watch some movies that you love. You know what I'm saying? Go back and watch some movies that you just haven't seen in a long, long time. I watched Back to the Future the other day. Um, Netflix? What I watched that on? Was it I, I think, think it, I, I, I think, think they're on Netflix. Netflix. I think I, I know all three of them are on whatever it's on. I think it's Netflix. I watched the first one. Haven't seen that movie in forever what a riot you know what i mean so that's my weekly recommendation go back and watch a movie from when you were a kid that you just absolutely loved liam what was a movie from when you were a kid that you probably haven't seen over a decade oh man that's tough for you being only two decades old right uh that is a great question um i feel like my go-to response is like polar express but i watch it every christmas so see that's not the question yeah damn ah you got last when was the last time you saw ninja turtles with vanilla ice You've oh my never god. Seen it. Go ninja, go ninja, go. 
Probably well over 10 years. That, that's, that's what I'm saying. One. Actually, yeah. you know what my shout is? Uh, now You See Me, the magician movie with Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. Great um, film. It's less than a decade. However, sure, sure, sure. I think it's close to like eight years. And I love that movie. Good movie. I, I never I, saw the second one. I never saw the second one either. And it's hey, the, because, the direct uh, rewatch? Direct rewatch. Let's go. <laughs> now You See Me Too. Um, yeah. With uh, Daniel Radcliffe as the villain because it's meta as hell because, you know, he's Harry Potter, magician that's why and I all didn't that. See it. Um, my weekly, my <laughs> weekly recommendation. I really love that question though. I'm now I'm gonna like rack my brain after. Come show. back next week. I want your notes annotated, uh, I'll, highlighted. I'll, I'll get some notes. Bibliography. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll mark them up for sure. That's right. Um, my my weekly recommendation. Uh, my other love aside from comic book movies is the world of professional wrestling. Hey, you know when you're listening to this show tonight will be NXT Takeover Vengeance Day, and it's <sighs> main evented by Pete Dunne. And Finn Balor, the two faces of European wrestling, Hell obviously yeah. Finn Balor being Irish and Pete Dunne coming from the United Kingdom. Pete Dunne was the, the longest reigning for a while uh, NXT UK champion. Finn Balor is arguably the most famous NXT you know, United States champion. Having them clash is going to be an absolute dream match, and I can't wait to watch it unfold. And, you know, maybe we'll come on the air next week, and I'll tell you that it was one of the best matches of the year. Maybe I'll tell you it didn't live up to the hype, but regardless, the anticipation for this Sunday is through the roof, and I can't wait to watch NXT take over Vengeance Day. That being said, Matt, that's our show. We did it. What we a show it. it was. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Matt said it at the top of the hour. I'm going back to it now. iTunes reviews, we need them. We need your help. We need those five stars. We need those, those thoughts in the full-on written review section. It really helps the show, guys, in all seriousness. And we appreciate any time anyone takes the time out of their day to write us a review. So make sure you give us some feedback on iTunes, even on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the show. How can we make it better? How can right. we tailor it more to your interest we're working for you we're a couple men of the people it's all about you it's all about the people if i'm in your earphones right now i want to tell you guys i do it for you i'm here for you we're here for you the direct podcast we give it back to you the people we'll see you next week cheers <laughs>